So I motion into the box. I don't know who I'm blocking. And I kind of have to read the defense on my own. Um, So when I get Dan's help with stuff like that, hey, you know, you you motion into the box. You see it's split safety. You see it's shell coverage. You automatically know the point is going to be the front side backer because it's nickel. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm just like, man, that makes a lot of sense. (laughs) Like, I guess I don't need to worry about, uh, you know, stuff like that goes so far with my development and just understanding the game at this level. Welcome to the Green Light Podcast. Thank you so very much for jumping on today. It is a wild Friday. We've got a long show, but it's a wonderful one. Sam Laporta, Detroit Lion, rookie tight end. He's lighting the NFL on fire right now. He joins us virtually in Studio J, has a blast with Chris. They talk about how Dan Campbell's helped Sam transition into the NFL at the tight end position. They talk a little bit about Monday night and when Sam looked up across the line and saw Mad Max Crosby. We get into Sam's singing abilities and talk a whole lot of Detroit Lions. Enjoy that. We also preview each NFL matchup this weekend. And we talk the Las Vegas Raiders. Chris dissects the recent firing, what coaches might have a shot at getting that head coaching position for the Raiders. We have a great one big thing segment for you today. So enjoy that. Please enjoy the show. Have a blast with Sam. Go take a look at this on YouTube as well. And before you get to Chris and Macon, tune in on Sunday, 425 p.m. for the Eagles-Cowboys game. We're going to be live watching it, live streaming our reactions, all from Studio J. Make sure you tap in with us. Because you also will hear a very special announcement from Miller Lite. Miller Lite's got something brewing. They've got a couple of things brewing. And you're not going to want to miss it. You can find everything you want to know, 425 p.m. Eastern, at the Greenlight YouTube channel as we live stream the Eagles-Cowboys game. Be sure to check it out. Thursday night time machine. Now I got to say something. What you got to say? What we do is we text our scores to the cowboy. Mm -hmm. Now, as I was texting mine, I mistyped the last digit, Mm -hmm. which happens to be the second digit of the Titans score. Yeah. Okay. Spoiler. Oh, you're on the same side as me. And I asked everybody, do I go with God and what? he or she is telling me to pick the score because obviously that's not an accident yeah or do i go with my original intention yeah and the room was pretty much split down the middle i'm going against god yeah and with me so we won't have a winner this week because you both picked the same score are you fucking kidding me second time this has happened the exact same score exact same score steelers oh my goodness so what do we do we We, take a prop and we can't go total we, take no. a, we can't go total. We need to think you want of to do a, a tiebreaker. Or do I just go with God? I'll go with the God score. What was the God score? 20 to 15. I sat there for a while. I almost did 20. I thought you were going to be on the Titans because I know you're a big zag guy. Mm-hmm. And I thought you'd just be zagging um, because the other day on the show, I liked do, the, the Steelers. Do the first half. Why don't you do the first half? Oh, score? what's the first half line? 
First half total is 17 and a half. Okay. <clears throat> I'm texting you my score right now. What if I think it's going to be a tie? I got to commit to the tie? 17 and a half. Ugh. It doesn't matter because the under's the play. The under's the play. I text this, I text this to Kingston last night, okay, because you know me, Mr. Research, as if it's doing me any fucking good. 21, 6, and 1 over the past couple years are uh, totals if you take the under and if the total's 37 or lower. Did we, did we text the same score again? Just about. It's, Chris has 10 to 7 Steelers, Macon, I, Macon has 10 to 6 Steelers. That's what I was going to do. I was going to do. All right, I, I, I kind of feel good out. here. Okay. I kind of feel okay here. All right. Yeah. <laughs> good luck to you. Um, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> All right. So listen, we won't break this this game down in the uh, in the breakdowns. We'll break it down right now, so people, um, not that you can bet it. It is Thursday morning, or it's Friday morning as you're listening. It's Thursday afternoon as we are, uh, are talking about this game. This is like the Battle of uh, Megiddo, which is uh, it's a 15th mm-hmm. century BC battle between, of course, the Egyptians and the Canaanites. It's it's the ultimate rock fight. I mean, these guys didn't have any anything. You know, the, there was no there was no uh, Northrop Grumman. There was no you know. It was just fucking. It was Mike Tomlin, and he wants to beat you in a thirteen ten game. And it's Mike Mike Vrabel. This is the ultimate Mike Vrabel spot. It's it, the only way it'd be a better Mike Tomlin spot is if they were dogs. So this is gonna be. A slugfest, and uh, it's I just think going to be Derrick Henry three and a half yards a pop, Najee Harris zero point eight yards a pop. Yeah, I hope not Najee Harris. I hope we get more, more Warren. And so, like one thing I'd look at is last week Will Levis had two seven two to throw. Uh, that's going to change this week. If you want to drop back and bake a cake a little bit against this defensive front, they're going to get there. So the operations got to speed up. I thought Levis was was pretty good on early downs. Uh, outside of the shots. I mean, like, listen, there's some things where you can see he's not throwing a guy open sometimes. Sometimes the ball placement's a little bit off. It might be on somebody's back hip. But for the most part, I was really impressed with this kid, and it's a great opportunity for him. This is just a great opportunity. Tomlin, 23-5 and five against rookie QBs. I think what's going to be interesting to see is, like, you're, you're down Minka. How do those safeties play? Uh, for Pittsburgh, obviously last week, and we fucked this up. It wasn't a wheel route; it was uh, ETN on a go. But on the right sideline, there, you know, you undercut that route, and that ends up being basically the difference in the game. I know they lost by ten, but that that made it feel like it was out of reach. And so, um, I think that's going to be a big thing. How does the secondary play on the back end? We talked about Levis manipulating eyes and Derrick Henry in general. Is there a usage up, up? You know, are you upping the usage? Because for a month, if you asked me a month ago, are they going to trade Derrick Henry? I would have said they're not sure. If anything, it's 70-30 trade the guy. As we got close to the deadline, it was clear they were asking a lot. And then when when what happened on Sunday happened, you were like, yeah, they're not going to trade him. So um, Cam Hayward back. What does Kenny Pickett feel like? Uh, I would get the screen game going. You got good matchups outside with wide receivers. I like uh, taking shots for the Steelers as well. You know, I talk about this every week. In a game like this, you can flip the field and change the complexity of the game and not the complexity, the complexion of the game. That's an important distinction. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people screw up. <laughs> it's not going to be a very complex game. Contingent and contingency. Uh, yeah. You all need to look up those two words. Well, something is contingent on something. A contingency is a noun. 
Well, it's it's also the 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 Steelers contingent will be in full throat. That's true. Yeah, tonight. full throat. That's yeah. good. So yeah, we're taking uh, we're both taking the Steelers, but I feel stronger about the under. We'll see how that plays out. And Chris, you wanted to talk about our uh, our Miller Lite live stream this weekend. Check us out this weekend, 425, Birds and Cowboys. Big deal, it's a big game, but there's also a big announcement that you're going to want to hear. If you like our podcast, you're definitely going to want to hear this one. Uh, And it's thanks to Miller Lite. So celebrate Miller time with the Green Light Podcast. You know who we had on the pod today before you showed up? You know who was on the pod? Sam Laporta, tight end. Macon, he's our kind of guy. Fucking loved him. He's nice. great. I mean, he's good. A, he's kind of a St. Louis kid, mm-hmm. you know, like he's St. Louis metro area. So at first, uh, I was like, uh, am I going to be able to ask some St. Louis questions? And I got on YouTube to listen to him talk, and he definitely sounds like somebody at a Cardinals game. So I was like, yeah, we're in there, dude. Uh, and he was great. He he really does get in the, the nitty gritty of like being coached by Dan Campbell, having these former players coach him, uh, his relationship with Jared Goff, just a a ton of great stuff we fit into 20 minutes so stick around for that it's coming up right now this podcast is brought to you by cash app the all-in-one app for spending sending and setting easy to track savings goals with multiple tools for saving spending and sending cash app is an all-in-one way to stay in control of your money and cash app has something very special for you when you pay with the cash app visa card you'll automatically enter for a chance to win a five-star VIP trip to Super Bowl 58 in Las Vegas. It's like catching a touchdown in the NFL without actually having to get hit. That's how you're gonna feel. The best part is, the more times you pay between October 16th and November 9th, the more automatic entries you get for a chance to win. So whether you're buying yourself a lucky jersey or loading up on game day snacks, make the right play and pay with your Cash App Visa card. And who knows, you could find yourself at Super Bowl 58. Thanks to Visa. No purchase necessary to enter or win. Open to U.S. residents 21 and up ends 11 9 For complete rules, visit cash.app slash exclusives slash football dreams 2023. That's cash.app slash exclusives slash football dreams 2023. Game day is the perfect pizza day. So make Little Caesars the official pizza sponsor of the NFL part of your game day. Order online during our pizza pizza pregame one hour before and three hours after NFL kickoffs, plus all day Sunday. To have your NFL game day covered, choose your favorite Little Caesars pizza or pick the toppings you crave. It's a pizza pizza win. And speaking of winning, everyone scores with convenient delivery or our in-store pizza portal pickup. So grab some friends, order your Little Caesars, and enjoy during the games. Whatever you're looking forward to this football season, there's one thing that pairs well with every great moment, and that is an ice-cold Miller Lite. Whether you're at the stadium, playing fantasy football, or watching the game at home, or at the bar, Miller Lite is here to make your football season taste like Miller time. From kickoff to the clock runs out, you can't go wrong with the Miller Lite in your hand. It's the only light beer with a taste worthy of our national obsession. Because what's the point of having beer if it doesn't taste like beer? I go to Dirty Nelly's every weekend. Sometimes I'm prepping for the show at the bar on Saturday night, watching a little college football, getting ready to lay out our Miller Lite moments. Uh, I like to have a nice cold Miller Lite 
right next to me and the folks at Dirty Nellies, they know when I get there to have my ice cold Miller Lite. It's got only 96 calories and 3.2 carbs for 12 ounce serving with a smooth taste and a crisp, clean finish. You get the taste you crave without the calories. So this season, crack open a light beer that hits your taste buds so hard you feel it in your heart. Make it Miller time all season long. Get Miller Lite delivered right to your door. Visit MillerLite.com slash Greenlight. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories and 3.2 carbs for 12 ounces. We got one of the best young players in the NFL. Guy I've enjoyed watching play. Sam Laporta, one of the many Iowa stud tight ends. And uh, he is joining us now from what looks like his house, which means it's the bye week. Sam, how are you liking the bye week in the NFL? The bye week is treating me well, Chris. It was uh, it was nice to step away yeah. during this time. Uh, we're eight games into this this crazy rookie season of mine, so it was nice to get away. So we talked a little bit coming in because I was in St. Louis for eight years, and when I looked up where you were, you're right on the Illinois side, and I was going to ask you like Cardinals, Blues. Oh yeah, there I asked yeah, yeah. Rams. Like, how did you cope with not having a professional football team before or after 2016? Yeah, that was tough. Uh, I root for all those St. Louis teams. Um, you know, the Stanley Cup for the Blues in 2019. Man, I was right in the heart of that. I uh, I went to a playoff game that year, actually. And then the Rams kind of broke my heart when they left St. Louis. But, uh, you know, we've moved on now a couple years later. Here I am up in Detroit. Yeah, how about that? I went to one of those Stanley Cup games. It was the one they lost by like 10, goal, or, uh, 10 goals. It was like, I don't know, like 11 to 2 or something at home i don't remember that yeah well i i took it out of my memory banks too because uh i think i was bad luck but yeah blues fan here watch the cardinals pretty cool to hear that you were from right over the uh the border there but um i hear and this is the first question i have i called my buddy nate sudfeld i said what do you need to know about sam laporte he said he's got great voice explain that to me (laughs) well you know, the rookie skits that go on across the NFL, um, singing was definitely the uh, the forefront of the Detroit Lions rookies. So, you know, Jameer Gibbs got up there and he did his little bit. And then Jack Campbell sang uh, Country Boy Can't Survive oh, by yeah. Hank Williams Jr. <laughs> he, he did okay. He got into it. But uh, uh, if you know anything about Jack Campbell, it was just rough all around with him. And then... <laughs> And then I, I followed those two guys up, and uh, I sang "All Summer Long" by Kid Rock, a, a Michigan, yeah. Michigan guy, you know. And um, I told myself I wasn't going to half-ass it, so I went up there and I, I shredded it right in front of the room, and standing ovation from everybody in the in the room. And uh, I was nervous for it, but I thought I did pretty well. Hell yeah, dude! You, uh, I heard Kurt Cobainish voice. That's pretty, that's a great yeah. compliment, dude. Yeah, that <laughs> he's looking around like, well, fuck. No, that's a good I, I don't know. I don't know if I can have a comparison to any anybody, yeah. like especially Kurt Cobain. Yeah. But uh, I gave I gave it my best. That's great. Did you ask best. Hutch because I thought Hutch nailed it, a- and um, the linebacker from last year. Uh, yeah, Malcolm. Malcolm, I love Malcolm. Malcolm. Was up in front of the room dancing, they, but uh, yeah, I got there. Same thing, like I said, they. They told me to go up there and give it my best effort because that's really what it's about, yeah. you know. 
the guys want to see you kind of embarrass yourself, just play along. So no question. That's what I did. That's great. And you didn't have to be on hard knocks doing it, which is always a plus. So, Oh, that was a big plus dude. You've been lighting it up. Ton of catches every game. You obviously set like some rookie records and that sort of thing. Um, do you care about the people that think they own you in fantasy? (laughs) Not necessarily. Um, I got a lot on my plate to worry about and worrying about fantasy owners of, you know, how I'm doing in the fantasy football world. That's a little much. Well, they like you right now. They love you. So yeah, like it, it all works. Out. Exactly. Yeah. And then of course they hate you if you have one bad game. No so. question. No question. Well, yeah. you know, like last year when you guys, when you guys, before you were there traded Hawk, I thought a lot of people, and that's your boy from Iowa and everything, but I thought a lot of people were like, what the hell are they doing? And you know, like, the minute they made the move, I'm like, oh, Dan's in love with a tight end. Like, he, he, mm-hmm. he loves a tight end. He wants to get one on a rookie deal. I thought maybe it was Mayer. Could have been you. Like, wasn't sure. And, man, it, it turns out you guys just picked up right where you left off la- last year offensively, and you're a big part of it. How empowering is it when a head coach drafts you and, and he plays the position uh, that you do now? Um, how great is it having that voice in the building for you? Yeah, certainly. You know, you have you have Dan's faith in you. You have Ben Johnson's faith in you. You know, my position coach, Steve Hyden, played 11 years in the National Football League as well. So those three guys instill a lot of confidence in me to do my job, to, uh, you know, play my role on the offense. So Dan, you know, Dan helps me with all those little – the details that go unnoticed by the average viewer – and they make all the difference when playing a position like tight end. You know, Dan Dan's great for me in that regard. What are some of those details? Like uh, when you make that jump, I know that certain, you know, finding space, maybe some of the blocks you have to make because you do it all. Like what are those things that you had to work on to adjust to the pro game that are like minutia type things? Well, there's several things to address in terms of like technique with first steps, hand placement, all that sort of stuff. Um, you see the tight ends in Ben Johnson's offense specifically. We're we're running around all the time. We we motion for indicators and stuff. So I I could go start out in my receiver stance. I don't get the point from the center, so I motion into the box. I don't know who I'm blocking, yeah. and I kind of have to read the defense on my own. Um, so when I get Dan's help with stuff like that, hey, you know, you, you motion into the box. You see it's split safety. You see it's shell coverage. You automatically know the point is going to be the front side backer because it's nickel. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm just like, man, that makes a lot of sense. (laughs) Like, I guess I don't need to worry about, uh, you know, stuff like that goes so far with my development and just understanding the game at this level. Not a lot of motion in the Iowa offense, I would would assume. Um, Not as much. Yeah, not as much. much. What do you think the score is in that Iowa game this weekend? I'm just curious because people think it's going to be like 13-10. I love rock fights. (laughs) What, what's your score prediction this weekend for Iowa? Uh, 13-10 seems... That sounds so good to me, nor- dude. It sounds like too normal of a score. I feel like uh, somehow it'll be like 12 to 10. Yeah, or maybe. Uh, like, yeah, like 15 to 10. Okay. Just, it'll be like a weird number, right. I feel like. But we'll see. What's it like having all those former players, man? Because one thing when Dan hired and last year was like, bunch of coaches that I even either played with or for, but they were all former players. Like what's that do for the building? It definitely brings 
the entire group together. Um, you know, I work with my position coach all the time, countless hours, and Steve gets it. He was a player, 11 years. He knows what it's like in the locker room. He knows what it's like on the bye week in week eight, how, you know, you're trying to get to that bye week. Um, they're certainly very understanding of, you know, how your body feels, um, how your mental is doing and when things need to be addressed and what can kind of the players can take care of what, what's going to let slide, I guess. Yeah. yeah the one yeah. thing I noticed watching hard knocks is like Dan's tough on y'all, but he also is like real square with you. Like, Hey, today's going to suck. You know, it's, He's, we need yeah. it, you know, and then, and then you'll get your break. You know, is it that kind of thing where you feel like you can trust that whatever he puts you through, he knows what's on the other side of it because he's been in your shoes. Yeah, he's been there. He's done that. He understands that a two-hour-long practice and full pads on a Wednesday in week eight is not – you're not going to look forward to that, but it's what you need to get better, to improve, to continue to beat the other teams in the league because yeah. we're all racing to get better yeah. at the end of the day. You're always fighting complacency and – you know, you always have to look down the road. There's some other team out there doing this. We need to be doing this. We need to be getting better. So yeah. he keeps it straight up with us, and you can appreciate a guy like that. No question. What did he say to you guys after that that Detroit, the, the uh, Vegas win? Because, you know, like, that that was a game where it was closer than you guys probably wanted. The red zone stuff, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, but you guys leave some points in the field. I know it's a gutsy win. Like, what's Dan's mm -hmm. post-game message after a win like that? He said, never apologize for winning in the National Football League. It's a tough business. Um, certainly sloppy details that we need to get cleaned up because when you come across those teams that can really capitalize on the mistakes that you're making, um, that's how that's how you lose ballgames. Um, so I guess that was the underlying message with that game. You know, you never want to turn the ball over three times. Um you want to be more efficient in the red zone. So we're going to get those details cleaned up no, for sure. No question. I'm sure you guys will. And Jameer Gibbs, do you think he knew he was going to get the ball about 40 times? Uh, like, Because I don't <laughs> think we knew y'all were going to go full feature back on this kid. Uh, it felt like you guys were waiting to do that. But, you know, with uh, with your, your main dude out uh, in Montgomery, did you guys get a sense coming in that y'all were going to ride him? I didn't know if... He was. He knew he was going to get forty carries, but uh, we definitely knew we wanted to impose the ground game. Um, the two weeks before that, we we played really good defenses in Baltimore and in Tampa Bay, and we felt that we'd failed to uphold that standard of, you know, putting a hundred yards on the ground and uh, establishing the run, and you know, just finding that consistent run effort. So we felt like we could do that, and heck, we put. 220, 230 on the ground last Monday night against Vegas and golf put like 270 in the air. And <laughs> that's a, that's a pretty mean combination right there. That's hard to stop. Yeah, no question. The two primetime games I've watched you play, you put about 600 yards and on the ground <laughs> against yeah, the Packers and, and the Raiders. How important is it to have an offensive line coach? Again, a former player in Hank Fraley. I play with the guy very smart guy. When I watch you guys block as a unit, and I don't just mean the, the tackles and the guards in the center, the tight ends too, you guys seem to be on a string. You know, it's like, it's like elephants on parade. And I'm not talking 
a boot look. I'm talking like it's a bunch of big guys who know exactly where they're going and you work together well. How important is it to work in concert with those offensive linemen and to have a guy that played? Yeah, Hank does a phenomenal job with the offensive line. Um, not to mention they're super talented. Um, you know, Brad's done an unbelievable job getting the right guys in the right spots. Um, you know, you see our center, Frank Rag now, one of the highest paid centers in the league. He's kind of conducting the entire orchestra with those guys. Um, you know, you see the tackles, Dak and Sewell. I mean, just across the board, really great group to work with. Um, and the attitude that they all possess is really what sets them apart in my mind. Um, you know, you can teach the technique, you can teach all those fundamentals, but the want to, the drive in those guys, it's really, it's fun to watch and it's fun to be a part of. How cool is it to see Alex Anzalone having such a good year? I'm sure he's a guy that, you guys got along, you know, coming in, and I'm sure he's one of the mm -hmm. main guys that you got to work with in, in practice when you're going good on good. Um, can you speak to how he's kind of had, like, almost a career year? People are really paying attention to this guy. A few sacks, you know, the coverage plays. What's he bring to that defense, and how's it been working with a guy? like? Because I, 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 when I was young, I found offensive guys that I could kind of hang my hat on trusting. And, you know, a lot of times right. they were the guys that I work with and rep stuff every day in nine on seven or in team period. Has he been one of those guys for you? He's definitely one of those guys. Um, you know, the old quote, iron sharpens iron sort of thing. Training camp was, it was a lot of fun to go up and compete against Alex. Um, he is as detail oriented as anybody I've went against in my short career here in the NFL. But, you know, you see him jumping routes and playing perfect body position when the ball is in the air and you're just like how did you do that he's well you know i noticed your your two foot split from the hash was a little bit different than your two yard split i knew that narrowed down the amount of routes that you could run as soon as you broke in with this stem uh you know i knew that you had to be running this route so i undercut it yeah. it's like that dude is locked in man like he doesn't miss anything that's going on on the field it's been fun to watch him uh really like Alex. How about Jared Goff? You show up. I don't know if you know he's going to give you the ball 75 times the first month of the season. But like <laughs> you guys had to click because I feel like that 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 quarterback tight end and really anybody receiving the football relationship has to be I mean, we see it every week. Guys aren't on the same page on choice routes or the placement's a little bit off or, you know, the timing and we put so much on the quarterback sometimes. Um, but it is two people working together. How quickly did you, you, you click with Jared and, and how has he been as a mentor for you? He's been, yeah, he's been great. Um, he's very decisive in what he wants with route running. Um, not to mention that Ben Johnson is very particular on yardage routes, landmarks, um, which that makes it easy for me. It was a lot to memorize at first for sure, but I know that I have to be snapping up this route at six yards because the timing of the play, if I'm not at six yards, if I'm at seven or eight yards, screws up the entire timing and he's going to have to progress to his next option. So once I memorized a lot of those details, I figured out what Jared needed from me. And I'd like to think of myself as that security blanket for him. We have those explosive route runners in Saint and Josh Reynolds and Khalif Raymond. Um, but I always feel like I'm going to be on my spot with steady hands and 
you know, I think he can trust me. No question. Uh, yeah. And then the Peoples Jones trade. I think it kind of went under the radar, but you tell me what you think. I thought when the trade was made, I was like, oh, they don't have a guy quite like him. And now you have a lot of different kinds of guys. You have Amon Ra, who has a skill set. You know, you've got you've got uh, Jameson, who's who's blazing fast and he's learning. You know, you've got a like you said, you're a security blanket. Adding that bigger possession guy outside, that was what I took from it. Why do you think you guys made that move, and how does he help you? Yeah, I, unfortunately, I haven't seen a lot of his tapes. You're worried um, about your fucking rookie year. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've kind of had my head down, um, <laughs> trying to stay out of trouble and just yeah. keep on going with what I've got going. Is there but, enough uh, enough balls to go around though? Yeah, certainly. Um, you know, we can always use another playmaker. Um, you saw some of those trades yesterday. Holy crap yeah. with, you know, Chase Young and Montez Sweat getting dished from the commanders. And, yeah, there was some crazy stuff going on around the league. But I think Donovan's really going to help us out. Yeah. Um, you know, one more, one more guy that we can get the ball to and it's going to be explosive down the field. How, who's the, like, because you're not having to block them all, but, like, there's something to being on the field and seeing a special player on the other side of the field. Like for me, it might be, hey, we're playing Randy Moss late in my career, and I'm like, holy shit, or you know, Tyreek Hill's speed or something like that. But for you, is there one guy on defense that you've seen so far through your first seven, eight weeks of your NFL career, like, man, that guy is just different? I just played a Monday night, Max Crosby. Woo, that, that. boy is good. Yeah, uh, the tape did not do him justice. Yeah. That's what I'll say. When when you see him in person, he's so smooth. He's so explosive. Um, hell, I, li I lined up off the ball right off the tackle the other night, and I was supposed to chip him. And I look out, and I, I, <laughs> I barely get off that ball, and that dude's already three yards up the field in one step. And I'm just like, holy shit, like – I'm supposed to chip his outside half. There's no way I can get to that dude. Well, but, it's crazy. The TFLs yeah. that he creates. I mean, he's obviously a great rusher. Love watching him rush. But, you know, he's a playmaker that seems to, before the snap, know exactly where he needs to be. You know, like you guys run that reverse or the jet jet sweep or whatever yeah. it was. He drops it for six yards. He runs down the play on the backside. And then he makes the play. Like, he's he's that smart. He's that explosive. And then he's a playmaker on top of it. For sure, yeah. for sure. We ran gap scheme right at him the other night, and I, I was attempting to block him, and he he shedded me pretty quickly. <laughs> and I don't know, I don't know if you saw that clip, but he was yelling. He's like, "I'm fucking him." I saw I'm it. Him. I heard it. Because <laughs> and yep, I was like, "Damn, that dude is a good player, man." Yeah. And I was like, "I just got exposed, right?" There. Well, dude, he gets everybody, man, and that, that shouldn't make yeah, you feel I was too like, bad. Damn, I hate to put that out. There, so, but he's a great player. A little Iowa talk. Um, you, you obviously had great relationships with the older guys that were in the league. Was there one more than, than the others that, that you talked to, you know, picked up things from, whether it was Hawkinson or Fant or Kittle or any of those guys? I feel like I, I took a little bit of all their game. Um, oddly enough, you know, one of my biggest mentors at Iowa was actually Dallas Clark, yeah. who outdates all of us. Yeah. Um, He's very involved in the program still. He's always around. I was always watching tape with him, getting his advice on stuff. Um, Dallas is an unbelievable human being if you haven't had many encounters with Dallas. I played but. against him, and you know I never got to talk to him, but he seemed like a great guy. 
Uh, one of my he college roommates was the tight end behind him in Indy and loved him. Said he was great. Yeah, he is the absolute man. But, um, yeah, it was great to go down to George's barn in the summertime. Um, excuse me, that was actually in the springtime before the draft. And I was working out with George, TJ, Rob Tunyon, Jordan Matthews. Um, and it was just great to be around all those guys, pick up small stuff in their game, what they're doing to – you know, stay ahead of the competition, stay ahead of that curve. That's awesome, man. Can you locate yeah. somebody for me? Aaron Campman was one of my biggest, my favorite player, like, growing up. And I haven't yeah. seen Eric, Aaron, Aaron Campman since he retired. I feel like y'all Iowa guys, you retire and then you go get a farm and disappear. Where the hell is Aaron <laughs> Campman? Is he on a tractor somewhere? I, I don't know. Um, you know who I'm talking about. Yes, no, I know Aaron. fucking legend. I've, yeah, he, he is a small group. Um, that works with athletes and I think they kind of break down the mental side oh, nice. of being an athlete and man, I'd have to, uh, I'd have to follow up. Oh, with if you, you that. ever see Aaron Campman, either tell him Chris yeah, Long's looking for him. He was one of my favorite players. I, I just haven't <laughs> seen him since he retired. The last question I want to ask you, man, is, and they said it the other night when we watching the game, they were like, Ford Field's been here 22 years never seen a playoff game now i know you won't put the cart before the horse but i feel like you guys are going to host one at least what do you think that place feels like uh in january yeah that's going to be rocking for sure um the fans have been dying for they've been craving the season that we've been producing so far and the support from the community all those lions fans it's just it's built up and it's kind of that snowball effect where they haven't had that in so long and here it is in front of them and they can taste it. They can smell it. The kind of season that we're hoping to have. So if that playoff time rolls around and we're at Ford field hosting a, uh, a playoff game, man, you better watch out. I think it'll be a lot of fun and that'll be a crazy ass atmosphere for sure. Oh yeah, man. Can't wait to watch yeah. it. Enjoy watching you play. Good luck the rest of the year. Hope you come back again after a big win um, and keep it up. Yeah, I appreciate it, Chris. Thanks for your time, man. Yeah, thanks for your time. You shouldn't have to worry when you buy tickets to your next big event. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you. With killer last-minute deals, all-in prices, views from your seat, and their best price guarantee, Game time takes the guesswork out of buying tickets. Yeah, I'm like, I'm, I'm on my game time app right now. I'm looking at Virginia Tech tickets. You know, maybe we'll win one of those at some point. We did it with Bryce Perkins. Anyways, I keep scrolling on the app. I'm going to get tickets to the Commonwealth Cup. Game time makes it easy to find and buy tickets for every kind of event in your area, even last minute deals. I know because I always wait to the last minute. You can preview the views from all your seats in the venue and game time's lowest price guarantee, event cancellation protection, job loss protection, protects my tickets. That's what I need. Game time is obsessed with finding ways to help you save money on tickets. Game time has deals on tickets right up to the start of the event and even an hour after it starts. It's the place to find last minute seats. Find exclusive flash deals and sponsored deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. With zone deals, you pick the section and game time picks the seats for big time savings. 
And the game time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with game time. Download the game time app, create an account, and use code GREENLIGHT for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code GREENLIGHT. G-R-E-E-N-L-I-G-H-T. That's the code for $20 off. Download game time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview and hire all in one place. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because we get you one step closer to the hire by immediately matching you with quality candidates. Indeed does the hard work for you. Indeed shows you candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Even better, Indeed's the only job site where you only pay for applications that meet your must-have requirements. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWireSports and support the show by saying you heard about it on this podcast. Please. Indeed.com slash blue wire sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. Macon, before we get into our um, our breakdowns, the big news, and this, like, when you do a podcast, I was in here talking about the trade deadline at, like, 10 p.m., came back and talked about the trades that happened after we we recorded on uh, on Tuesday and got home getting ready to go to bed i'm like fuck we missed the biggest story of the day because josh mcdaniels got fired in his pajamas and that is uh that's got to be i don't know if that's the best or worst way to get fired i asked a head coach this week would you rather be fired um you know after midnight or you know like in the middle of the day and he was like i'd probably rather be fired in the middle of the day so i can go go to sleep you know like josh mcdaniels you get fired at 11 p.m you're not going to sleep much the rest of the night how do you go to bed after that Danny Green of the Philadelphia 76ers was called at 2 a.m. to say, hey, Harden's been traded. A bunch of guys are coming over. You're, you're getting cut. No it's like, couldn't, way. Couldn't you have waited until morning time? That's wild. No, you had to get James Harden out of there. <laughs> and I want to give a worse flight one more time to uh, P.J. Tucker, who's like, yeah, you're getting traded and you're going with James mm-hmm. Harden. Like, they got to hop on the G5 together. <laughs> and I, yeah, maybe P.J. Tucker likes James Harden. Maybe he's not like everybody else on the planet, it seems. Uh, but, but yeah, so Josh McDaniels gets can, if you really want to read up on what led to this thing, I think Vic DeFore does a great job. Uh, he, he wrote an article for the athletic that was all encompassing. And some of the things I'm going to talk about are things that I read in this article, but also it's clear to see that the players aren't happy with Josh McDaniels. And when you hear about the way it went down, um, it seemed like Mark Davis was taking input that entire day, that entire week leading up to the decision. And some of the meetings he called were with players. And I think if I had to guess, those, those meetings weren't real kind to Josh McDaniels and only confirmed what Mark Davis wanted to do or was being pressured to do or felt pressured to do. Um, but he can Josh McDaniels and it's two years in. 
Um, some of the things that Vic mentioned in the article are predictable when you think about Josh McDaniels or a former New England coach, epic meeting lengths, constant criticism, monitoring of social media accounts, which to me is a bridge too far for an NFL coach. Like, come on, like, fuck, dude, you're not Dabo Sweeney. So um, my big takeaway, honestly, and one more thing, NFLPA survey from March, this was anonymous, 1,300 players. They had report cards they filled out for their coaches and McDaniels and the staff graded last. So like, obviously not a, not a kind of deal, although you heard Max Crosby's um, you know, his comments on this and he took the high road and was like appreciative of the contract they gave him. The, that's probably the big thing that they did right was extend Max Crosby, but that's a no brainer. Um, you look at all the things they did wrong and I'll get to that in a second. The list is long. Him and Ziggler fumbled a lot uh, over the, the two years that Josh McDaniels was the head coach. So um, my main takeaway, honestly, and we just talked about this guy, Mike Vrabel is a tremendous NFL coach because it seems like every other New England guy, uh, you know, like turns into a pumpkin when, when they leave Foxborough at some point. Not everybody. I mean, Dable's having trouble now. I don't blame that all on him. Uh, you can go down a long list of guys that coached in New England and they haven't had success. And Mike Vrabel is that one guy that seems to get the most out of his team. So just a chance to tip my cap to Mike Vrabel, but this is a list of things that Josh McDaniels and this team has done uh, since uh, he took uh, over the headset. Blowing five double-digit leads, Yikes. failing to score 20 points in nine of the 10 last games, losing to Jeff Saturday. That's a big one. <laughs> you remember that? Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, he lost to uh, Bajant in his debut, a D2 quarterback. Lost to Baker Mayfield three days into his Rams tenure. Um, a lot of bad, ugly losses uh, that he incurred over just a short two-year span. It's the second time that Josh McDaniels gets fired. Baker out there wearing the number 17 for the LA Rams. Yeah. No less. That was wild. Mm -hmm. uh, it, but losing to Baker Mayfield, you know, it's not the worst of it. Uh, you know, two times now Josh has been a coach and hasn't survived 600 days. I mean, it's... You know, it's. I think he's the only coach to get two head coaching jobs to get fired this quickly in both of them. Um, they were supposed to lose to the Lions, right? Why that game? I don't know for sure. Maybe it's the the visual of Devontae Adams not getting the ball, being frustrated. Maybe it's the the shots that Jimmy missed. And I think it probably also is like a twisting of the knife that like, hey, not only did we hire this New England guy, he brought over a New England quarterback. Mm -hmm. he, he wanted it his way. And this guy missed two shots. And the Raiders didn't even cover, okay? That's just me talking. Um, well, but you, it's the Lions. You were supposed to lose that game. And you give another guy a shot, home Giants, home Jets. Yep. That's an opportunity to get to 5-5, five and five, and then you can, if the decision's already made, this is as good a time as any. It's as good a time as any, but the curious thing about the timing is it happens after they don't sell at all on the trade deadline. So it's like... You're not setting up good for a future head coach. It's a dysfunctional... Because you don't get anything back for some of the guys who might be valuable enough to it's send a dysfunctional else. situation Reed you're not getting anything, anything back for the new coach and like we'll talk about who might replace him but I don't think this Raiders job is that attractive we were talking about it earlier like you know how liquid is this ownership uh, it's not a group but you know like Mark Davis and and that family uh, it's only getting worse if they could have stacked some capital uh going into the deadline they didn't do that this is a place that's not like uh you know it's it's 
it's not a place that's going to spend money on a coach. Although, to add insult to injury, Josh McDaniels was owed a bunch more money, four years of, of that money on his deal that they just paid. Mm -hmm. And um, so I think that's interesting. It's kind of the definition of dysfunctional. And for a coach, like, if you look at the Raiders, they've had like six coaches the last 10 years. If I'm a head coach and I have multiple opportunities, I'm probably just for the fact that you look at that 10 year track record, you don't want to be the seventh. Um, there are some things that are attractive about this team. Um, Max Crosby, uh, you know, no state tax. End of list. <laughs> yeah. Um, nice stadium. But I am, like, I am rooting for Antonio Pierce, though. I, I'm excited about that. And, that. and that's the thing. I gave out the Giants earlier this week. And fucking go figure. The way the universe, I would have never given out the Giants had I known they, they would have an interim head coach this week. This is the, the spot where teams step yep. up. And they, they love Antonio Pierce. You can tell. And he's a fucking great guy. Uh, get to hang out with him when I was a young player at the Super Bowl. I think it was Fred Robbins, one of my teammates. We went out to a bar and hammered a bunch of beers with Antonio Pierce. And he's just the guy that you want in your locker room. Like, he's a guy you wish you played with. And that's an interim head coach. That's a successful interim head coach to a T. And actually, what's wild is the Rich Basaccia decision seems even more curious now. Right. You know, they didn't like the play calling in that Cincinnati playoff game. They thought that, you know, like, that's what it came down to. Um, they got worse offensively. And the players seem to love Rich, whereas the last two years have not gone that way. It's the absolute opposite. And, you know, a lot of times, the, you know, like when you break up, uh, you, you break up with your girlfriend or something like that. The rule is you don't date the same gal next. And I could do this for, for, for ladies, too. Like, you know, you, 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 Zag. Gotta, you, get, you just broke up with a tall king. Go get you a short king. Mm -hmm. You know, you just broke up with a guy with golden blonde hair. Go get you a tall, dark, handsome Jimmy Garoppolo type. When you have two offensive coaches in a row, like what's the odds that they're going to hire another one? I don't know. I don't know how Mark Davis thinks, but a lot of times um, owners go the opposite direction the next time. And I think what complicates things is like obviously everything hinges on drafting a quarterback. And so like, you know, I don't love having a defensive head coach, drafting a quarterback, even if you have a boy wonder OC, he's going to get another job at some point. So they're kind of up shit's Creek. And when you look at what Ziggler and, 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 and McDaniels did over the last two years, the car situation, you paid him and then you couldn't trade him after you benched him because of the no trade clause. So you give him a no trade clause and then he walks and you get nothing for him. Renfro. And this is interesting because we thought he might get traded, but that contract extension they gave him, before they didn't use him at all this year. It's like he disappeared. You couldn't trade him because of that contract. And then the Waller thing, obviously, and if you're more into the rumor mill, he got traded 10 days after um, the wedding. Uh, with Kelsey Plum. With Kelsey Plum. And there was like talk about Josh McDaniels fucking that thing up. Like he leaked the wedding details mm -hmm. to the media accidentally, like a big whoopsie. And Kelsey Plum tweeted, well, that's why he's not on the uh, invite list. And later she said she was joking, but was she? Uh, I didn't invite Jeff Fisher to my wedding. I love Jeff Fisher. I'm not saying uh, I re I'm reading into that too much, but, but all these moves have just come back to blow up in their faces. And like when you look at that offense this year, even the run game, you thought you could hang your hat on that, Josh Jacobs. He's nowhere to be found. So um, kind of crazy when you look at it.
And here's one more thing, a bit of trivia for you, Macon. You're not going to get this for you, the listener, too. I, uh, I did get a, a trivia earlier about Val Ackerman. That was good. Which you kneeled. That Thanks. was good. It's in your wheelhouse. Yeah. This might be out of your wheelhouse. Raiders head coaches since Tom Flores. Who do you think has the highest winning winning percentage? Guy who coached Marshawn Lynch. No, no, actually, it was Art Shell. Art Shell. No shit. Yeah. Oh. Art Shell, way back in the nineties, actually had two stints, and in his first stint, his winning percentage was like five eighty something. The next most winningest coach by winning percentage is. Rich Passaccia. So it's not an attractive destination. So it's going to be a coach that probably more than likely feels like this is one of his last opportunities. And I think like Lou, due to being a defensive head coach, he's been around a long time. He's not the hottest name every year, but I really respect the guy and what he's done in Cincy. And he seems to be like a leader. So I think Lou Anarumo, I think Brian Flores, Ivero, in uh in carolina he's done a great Good job great with job. that defense you know ben johnson's name gets thrown around and maybe he wouldn't want to leave detroit for for vegas especially after he decided to stay another year here's the deal doesn't it come down to the interview because if you look at the division leaders there is no blueprint miami position coach under shanahan baltimore john harbaugh special teams coach been there forever jacksonville doug is has done it before but didn't stick around at the last place. Kansas City, Andy's been there forever. Philly, Sirianni, what, a position coach? Tie-in coach. Uh, Detroit, Dan Campbell, position yeah. coach. Atlanta, Arthur Smith, uh, coordinator. Seattle, Pete Carroll, been there forever. I think you just, you, you probably go the coordinator route just because there are mm -hmm. a lot of attractive names. enemy still hasn't gotten his shot. Right, and he could be somebody if he doesn't get the Washington job. But just sit down in front of a guy and see if he's normal. Like, no shade. I, this Matt Eberflus cat, I, I cannot fathom how he aced an interview. He was super cool when he came on the show. I know he was. That's but the thing. Like, guys can be cool. His and he's probably burns, cool. His guys love him in Indy. His sideburns are all the way up here. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Being a head coach brings out something in, in somebody that you, you wouldn't have seen before that. Like, that's just the way it goes. Like, I've, I've experienced that. You know, like, I've had head coaches that had, you know, there were guys on my team that before they were head coaches, this coach coached those guys, and these guys would say, like, this is a different dude. I mean, like, he's not acting the same, he's not moving the same, he's not saying the same things. And I think that's, that's the tough um, uncertainty there, is like, what's this guy gonna be? He could be super well-liked in his room, but then when he becomes a head coach and he's got the big office, how, how does that work? And as you recently said, a couple of guys who have failed the opening presser have turned out to be really good. Exactly. You almost want bad press conferences out the gate. Um, the guy I didn't mention was Mike McDonald, who's done a really nice job in Baltimore. His name will be thrown around there. And, like, listen, there are other offensive coaches. I don't mean to say they shouldn't hire one, but these are the concerns. As for the Giants-Raiders game, this is that spot for the Giants. I really do feel like, like the Giants might win this game. Uh, I think they cover... Uh, but I'm nervous about Antonio Pierce. Yeah. I think I think the big question is, and this was early in the week. I think the the, the Giants both tackles uh, were were down. So what happens with that around game time? And, and then Aiden O'Connell is going to get the start, which I think is interesting. Enjoy Wink Martindale, Aiden. Yeah, heat him up. Heat well, him hey, up. if Devontae is going to be five yards clear of anybody else, just throw the ball just up there. Just throw the ball to Devontae. I think this is going to be an interesting game. I'm not saying it's great. Initially, we had it slotted 
in uh, in the uh, in the what was the mid tier? I think it, I think I put it in the mid tier because anytime there's an interim head coach or a Jeff Saturday or one of these guys, like I love to see what happens. It's kind of a and I'm not diminishing what being a former player and an assistant coach is, but like it's kind of like just walking in and being handed the keys to an NFL organization for a week. It's kind of like winning a bid in an auction and being like, hey, I get to coach a team for a week. Antonio Pierce is not on anybody's radar as far as being a head coach. This should be interesting. So I put it in the mid-tier. This is quite the come up because he was caught up in the Herm Edwards, Arizona State. We're not completely playing by the rules. Yeah, that's that's true. Head coach in Vegas. And speaking of coaching, and we'll get into our one big thing in a minute, or or a thing, or one thing. Yeah, it's huge. Huge thing, or one huge thing. Um... A couple rumors that came out. Number one, you brought up Antonio Pierce leaving Arizona State, the come up he's had. How about Harbaugh staring sanctions in the face? The Chicago job might open. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that that's something that's circulated this week. He could Obviously, pull a John Calipari. Like Calipari was under investigation for paying Marcus Camby, took the job at UMass. That's like leaving the country. Or at, at the nuts, sorry. That's like leaving the country like uh and and you know, when you when when you, there's a warrant for your arrest. Is like going to the pros for yeah. these guys. So well, and he could also win a national championship before he's <laughs> before and he's. And you think they leave. legitimately have a shot, right? Yeah, yeah. You watch more college ball. They than me. they score a lot of points. They don't allow a lot of points. They're really good. So you know he could win a natty and walk off and go back and coach his former team, which I think would be pretty interesting. Um, so the other rumor that came out that came out this week, and it's pro football talk. So I don't know if they just made this up. I don't know where this came from. Before what I'm about to say, just know that I'm kind of fucking around. But I do, as a fan, I would love to see Bill coach somewhere else. I think it'd be so fresh and so interesting. And I think DC, uh, as this rumor goes, with the commanders, would be... Be so fun. Would be so fun on so many levels. I know a lot of people in the NFCs probably wouldn't want to see it. But I'm not afraid of the commanders. I want to see Bill coach Navy lacrosse. And coach the commanders at the same damn time. Think about how happy he'd be to be within driving distance of the Naval Academy. Yep. Uh, there's it's a lot of good. Lo- he can go watch all those great lacrosse prep teams. Yep. Scout them out, uh, and he'd be in his hometown. Um, and a new sexual market. I mean, yeah, he's been true. in the New England sexual market for a long time now, and he's he's single. Bill. That's a great point. Yeah. He's single. He's ready to mingle. He's ready to go to the capital and uh, and get DMV. Gets, yeah. So, okay, we've got one thing. Did you hear Bobby Knight died? I did. Wonder if uh, they're going to bury him face down mm, so, so his critics can kiss, kiss his, his ass. ass. I really do wonder that. They should. Somebody needs to get in contact with the mortician in Indiana and just find out what they're doing there. I know it's kind of like a, a weird thing to talk about, but he did, he did say that. It's one of his most famous quotes. Um, he, Bobby Knight won, okay? 83 years old yep tall and angry like those guys aren't supposed to last man you know that gives me a lot of hope i'm not even angry i'm just tall uh he lived to be 83 years old lived a full life uh you know you could talk about his legacy being controversial uh complicated that sort of thing but i want to talk about the coach he's like the first guy you think of when you think of old old school coaches that you can't do that shit anymore you know you think about Headbutting a guy or uh, uh, strangling a chair, possibly strangling a guy. Yeah, 
footage is pretty clear, yeah. And and like, listen, I don't condone that. I think the game has changed. Uh, sports have changed. The way we talk about you know player coach relationships has changed. But I sat down last night and watched uh, an entire Roy Firestone special on uh, on Bobby Knight. It's on YouTube. And let me tell you something. I might just start watching Roy, Roy Firestone specials. <laughs> this is like my most. It's the best. 45 minutes of my week so far was sitting there watching this special. Not only did I, I got a chance to meet Roy Firestone when I was a kid because my dad oh. went on a show and like he was the nicest guy in the world. And when you look back at his interview style, it's kind of goofy. It's kind of like, I mean, he had, this is great. He spent, he had to spend a whole day with him. Roy was sitting in a fucking chair on the baseline. He's like, I'll be the guy you headbutted. Show me how it happened. Explain <laughs> it to me. And they're doing a whole like thing where Bobby's showing him how his back was fucked up and he tried to bend over and then his back gave out and he ended up headbutting the guy. And then he's like, well, okay, later in the special, he's like sitting on the baseline again. And he's like, Bobby, show me what happened when you allegedly kicked wow. your son. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. And so he's doing that whole thing. And he's like, I didn't mean to kick my son. You know, I was kicking I thought the they chair. should go, he should go back to the headbutt incident and see if the story changed at all. Right. Go back later in the yeah. day. Yeah. Now, I came away from this thing and like, listen, yesterday, my college coach, Al Groh, was in town. So Al comes in every year. Bill Belichick coaching tree, Al Groh. Yeah, Belichick yeah. coaching tree, coach with the Jets, nice. Nine and seven. And sitting with Al for two hours uh, yesterday in this studio, talking ball, got to bring him over. He wants to come on the show, shit mm. like that. I, it, he's so old school. Um, he was so tough. You know, some of his methods might not be okay today. Uh, the things that were said, you know, and like, you know, when you hear Bobby Knight calling somebody a jackass, that sort of thing, that's pretty benign compared to how football coaches act. But Al was an old school, school coach. I mean, like he's sending me footage last night at nine o'clock after we hung out of Oklahoma drills from 2003. Like, this is what made us tough. You know, like he, he's just that kind of guy. And I have an appreciation for those kinds of guys. Even though Bobby's legacy is complicated, when I watched this special, I came away thinking he was good for the game of basketball and he was good for a lot of the guys he coached. I mean, obviously he was a great coach, but even some of the players um, that he seemed to be really hard on had great things to say about him after the fact. There's things that people don't talk about with Bobby Knight, like you, you, they listed a whole bunch of stuff, raised you know, th hundreds of thousands of dollars for the school library. Um, you know, He hired deaf kids to be school uh, you know, student managers. Mm -hmm. um, he, you know, Landon Turner was a guy that he coached that was paralyzed in an automobile accident. And uh, he quietly raised money for him, set up an endowment, and went as far as calling Red Auerbach to say, hey, could you draft Landon? Wow. And Red, di Red did it. Sent him a championship ring, the whole thing. When Coach K's dad passed, this was another story. It was like maybe in the middle of the season. I might be butchering the... Um, the details Coach but K, of course played for Bob Knight at Army yeah he played for him at Army and by the way one funny thing was he was too tough for Army like Army kicked him out of there because he was too hard on the cadets and Bobby's response was like if we're playing at Madison Square Garden and a bunch of people are coming to watch our, our armed forces play like don't you want them to play hard don't you want them to be tough you don't want them to come and say like you want them to be confident in the military which I thought was beautiful but he uh Mike's dad died and instead of just you know calling the the family you know giving Mike some time off Bobby 
flew to, I guess, Chicago, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and spent three days with his family and was there for the whole thing. And, um, you know, there was even as harsh as he was and rough around the edges as he was an instance where, and I don't support this because I think this is what made him, uh, you know, a negative figure at times in sports. Uh, they were doing a rally. There was a couple thousand kids in the uh, arena and there was this, this heavy set guy, as Bobby Knight called him, talking to Roy Firestone. And the heavy set kid asked him, uh, you know, why don't we put more seats in the arena? Like, why can't we fill this arena? Like, why can't we fill this arena? Why can't we? And he said, well, if you get your fat ass out of the doorway, and more people would be able to fit into the into the stadium, which was like a terrible thing to say, especially when you consider the fact that there were a bunch of people in the arena, and this kid was understandably really embarrassed. So the kid wrote Bobby a letter and was like, hey, Bobby, I was embarrassed by that, like a couple weeks later. And Bobby reached out to the kid, brought him to, you know, Indiana, the, the field house or wherever they were practicing, and set him up on a program, gave him full access to the facilities. The kid lost 150 pounds. And, yeah. you know, like, so that story to me epitomized Bobby Knight. And, you know, like, too rough around the edges at times, like, harsh, um, hurtful, all that stuff. But I really do think he had a good heart deep down in there. And um, new basketball better than just about anybody in the history of the world. Like last guy to have an undefeated season in college record that hasn't been touched since 76. And in 1984, when he coached the Olympic team, he said that Michael Jordan was the best basketball player he'd ever seen. He was right. He, he hadn't even stepped on the he was right. somebody said, court yet. Somebody said, uh, we need a center. He was like, draft Michael Jordan. Play Jordan center. center. And I just, like, I know some people are listening to this, like Bobby Knight, bad guy, some of the things that he did at the end of his lifetime, you don't agree with. I don't agree with some of the things he did at the end of his lifetime or said, um, or, or things he thought. But as a coach, um, I watched this and, and it made me appreciate him a little bit more. And it also made me understand where he was coming from. He was so resistant in this interview and like in general, to accepting praise for the nice things he right. did. Like the way I think Bobby Knight's head worked was like he wanted he wanted good things for people. He wanted to get the best out of his players. He really cared about his players and the methods weren't the most agreeable. Um, no, but, there's a famous book, like this is my recommendation for you this week rather than a movie, we'll do a book. It's called A Season on the Brink. I bet making I heard it's Feinstein. Feinstein book. He lets Feinstein in to every practice, every locker room for the whole season. He's not trying to hide that he's kind of inspiring by fear. He just thinks that the ends justify the means. But he was so resistant to even in these stories came up, like the Landon, uh, the 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 Landon Turner. Turner story. He gave all the credit to Red Auerbach. Yeah. You know, like whether it was Mike Shashevsky, like he's like, what the fuck? Why wouldn't anybody go out and support that kid and stay there for three days? Or, you know, why wouldn't you do this? I, he never wanted to be like, yeah, I did a good thing. And I think he was such, he had such a hard shell. Um, but I think it, somewhere in there was soft core where he really cared about the guys he, he coached. And so um, I would suggest, you know, whether it's that, that, that book or, you know, check out this Roy Firestone interview, because for me it was really illuminating. Um, the guy did some good things, and he was a great, great basketball coach. And um, he also signed a basketball for me in St. Louis. I got to meet him wow. at uh, at the Ritz Carlton. He was doing a signing. I lived like across from Carondelet. There. Yeah, Carondelet Plaza in St. Louis. And um, 
somebody I knew was like, hey, I'm, I'm working this Bobby Knight convention. And, uh, you know, I asked him, you know, Chris lives across the street. Can he come over? And he was like, absolutely. I watched his dad. I watched Chris, like, come over. And I was shocked by that. And, that's awesome. And when I went back to meet him, he was the nicest guy in the world, signed a basketball for me. Um, now, that's one interaction. There's a bunch of people who probably tell you Bobby Knight was an asshole to them. But I think as a coach, he had a net positive effect. It would have been even cooler if he was like, hey, man, fuck off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, fuck off, Chris. Yeah. Jay, Jay I walk Billis all the way across piece. the street, <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> Jay Billis wrote a great piece where he said he was the only friend he had to, like, explain to his other friends how he was friends with them. Yeah. Justify, but that the Bobby Knight he knew, he loved. And that's the thing. It seemed like Bobby had a tight circle and was selective about the people he cared about, but when he cared about you, he would go to the end of the earth for you. Bill, and he's just a different kind of guy. I mean, those guys don't exist as much in sports today, and it's a different time and a place. You can't do that. You can't grab players. You can't, you can't throw chairs across the court, although it was hilarious watching him justify that. He was like, and this reminded me of myself when I fuck up, is uh, he was like, yeah, but I threw the chair in the one place where nobody was going to be. Roy was like, you could have hurt somebody. He's like, I knew I threw it exactly in the right place. Well, what if that chair hit some kid and busted his knee? Sure, or... but it didn't, did it? Because I threw it exactly where nobody was. No. These are the images we see over bad boy Bob. But I don't create those. Somebody else makes an issue out of that, not me. You look back at that YouTube video, him throwing that chair, it's hilarious. They got the AD down on the court. Mm -hmm. You know, like, they, they, I thought they were going to have to get the police to get Bobby Knight off the fucking court because he's a big guy. When I met him, he was six. Five. He had to be even taller mm -hmm. back in the day. But, you know, at first when Bobby Knight passed, I was like, ah, not much to talk about. Like on our show, it's a football show. Some of the things he, you know, he, 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 he thought at the end of his life, it might be a touchy subject for some people listening. But as a coach, I got great respect for the guy. And um, like I said, 83, tall and angry. That's a lot longer than some tall, angry guys uh, last. Billis wrote, driving with Knight was a unique, unique experience. Unique, unite. unite experience. I never saw him wear a seatbelt. <laughs> so riding with him meant enduring the torturous, repetitive digging of the unfastened seatbelt chime, all while Knight pretended he didn't hear it. Mm -hmm. Honestly? I know. I know. I do the same thing. I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I do wear my seatbelt now, um, but I used to just fucking, Yeah. So anyways, uh, that's my, uh, my one huge thing. Rest in peace, Bobby Knight. All right, let's get to the NFL previews. Let's do it. Our let's... tier concept today is backup quarterbacks, and we have a pretty electric top tier. Yeah, so backup quarterbacks. You know, obviously my top tier is going to be Big Dick Nick Foles. Oh, good. Yeah, yep. who's yours? It's Doug Flutie. Yeah. Uh, Flutie replaced Rob Johnson. Yeah. Goes eight and three, leads the Bills to the playoffs. That was when he was nine years in between stints as a starter in the NFL. Goes to a Pro Bowl that year. Yeah. The next year, Flutie leads the Bills to eleven and five record. Yep. And then Wade Phillips, they make the playoffs. Yeah. Wade Phillips starts the backup Rob Johnson in yep, the playoff I game. Rob Johnson. Instead of Flutie. Yeah. Rob Johnson goes ten of twenty two. The Bills lose in what is now considered the Music City Miracle Game. Mm -hmm. But Flutie as a backup was electric um, and then ironically replaced by a guy himself who went He's on to the game. He's not going to be the namesake of any of our tiers, Rob Johnson. He's somewhere in between um, all these tiers. And Flutie, you, you will have forgotten this, finished his career backing up 
Drew Brees in San Diego and Tom Brady in New England. Oh, yeah, that's true. 21 years. That's wild. And I don't know how much it, like, you know, Flutie never throws that Hail Mary. Is he as big a name? We mm. were talking about that earlier. Yeah, I don't think so. Wearing, don't, yeah. wearing 21. Flutie Flakes? Mm-hmm. Um, mid-tier, I'll probably give that to Chad Henney. Big Chad Henney fan. He'll get the job done for you. Go Blue. He's like a great guy. Um, and then the lowest tier for me was... Uh, I hate to say it, Nathan Peterman. Yep. Yeah, it's pretty unanimous. Yeah. I mean, they put, is that who you had to? Well, I went historical. I went Spurgeon win. Okay. But, um, yeah, Peterman's the easy Mid-tier for you? Bubby Brister. Okay. He backed up Randall Cunningham and John Elway. Elway missed four games in the 98 Super Bowl season. Bubby Brister took him to 4-0. Oh, Bubby Brister. So here's the dilemma, Make, and I've talked to you about this. The biggest game of the weekend, if you're not a Philadelphia Eagles fan, and you could argue that's the biggest game of the weekend, I wouldn't argue with you. But one that everybody is all over right now is Kansas City-Miami. In that game, and I love these games, you know, international games, wake up, fix your breakfast, watch the game, maybe get up a couple units or down a couple units, and you kind of know if you're Chris Either Long way, your heart's Long. pumping. Yeah, your heart's pumping. It's early. You get the juices flowing. It's a 930 game. And this week, Ryan Rosillo texted me and said, hey, Chris, do you want to go down to the LSU-Alabama game I've been trying to go to a random college football game. Me and Bad Back Backy have been talking about going to a random college football game. We were going to go to a Charlotte game with Biff Pogie, or we even thought about it. We were going to get some fucking nosebleeds in West Virginia and watch them play BYU this this weekend. Just go up there, just total tourists in Morgantown, and it's still something I want to do because, you know, as as an ACC guy growing up in Charlottesville, um, the one school that gives me pause if I look back again and, and say like, hey, had I done it again, maybe where would I looked a little harder? West Virginia. I just would have loved playing there. I feel like that atmosphere is crazy. You know, the John Denver shit, the whole Burning thing. couches. Yeah, burning couches. I just love the whole vibe. It's like a beautiful college park. You know, like it's, it's <laughs> if college park had any uh, value aesthetically, because I love West Virginia, the state. But I end up getting this text from from Ryan Rosillo, and he's like, "Hey, you should come down. You know, I'm in with the LSU people, and uh, you know, it's not a lot of opportunities you get to go see one of these games. And I've had these opportunities almost every year where he texts me like five days before a big SEC game. He's like, come down here. Never been to Tuscaloosa. I think I'm gonna do it. Um, and asking you guys, like, what do you do? Like, my wife said yes last night. I said sleep on it. Ask, uh, you know, tell me in the morning. And she said go. I got the best wife in America." But Dolphins Chiefs is like the only time I can fly back. And when I asked Ryan when the bars close in Tuscaloosa, he said they close when they close. <laughs> so I got a lot of different things going on in my head trying to calculate, can I get back on time to see some of this game without uh, waking going straight from the bar to the airport? So uh, I think what's going to end up happening is in the beginning of this game, I'm going to be uh, up in the air and uh, I'll be landing around halftime, which is hard for me because I really want to see this game. But I think this is the right move. You said it earlier. You were like, generally, I say stay home. You know, this is one. There's nothing out there. This is one. I, th- I think this is one you should do. So I might be in Tuscaloosa this weekend. That's my hello. But we're on the we're on the heels of you know regretting not going to Baton Rouge exactly. a year ago. Exactly. So yeah, I didn't go to Baton Rouge. That turned out to be a barn burner. And um, I'm gonna do it this year. So I think I'm gonna be down there at Bryant Denny, seeing what it's all about. My first exposure to Brian Denny, of course, was uh, on the Ali G show. I don't know if any of y'all used to watch the Ali G show. I did. Uh, he went down there and, and 
and trolled the entire stadium and uh, got in the locker room, had a press pass, was interviewing Shad Williams. Remember Shad? Oh, yeah. Shad Williams? S-H-A-U-D. Yeah. And uh, it, so that was my first exposure to Brian He doesn't Denny. get down like that. I can't wait. Yeah, I cannot wait to get down there and see what that place is all about. But Dolphins, Chiefs, I'm a little nervous because you like the under. Yeah. I like the under too. Uh, but what I don't like is the fact that the Chiefs, which is the side I lean, went out on a Friday. Yikes. Yeah. Thursday? Friday. I think it's Friday. I thought they were going out today, but they're cutting a little close going out on a Friday. Yikes. I don't love that. Dolphins got there early. I've seen practice footage of them. They're, Say no more. They're in Germany. I'm kind of nervous about the Chiefs' travel decisions here. Did the Chiefs? They the got Chiefs, further to go. Were the Chiefs waiting to bring along like a really good wide receiver by any chance? I don't know. <laughs> okay. I don't know, but that that hasn't happened. Now, one guy I think they use more this week is Rasheed Rice. You know, like staying out of the situations where you're trying to throw the ball outside the numbers to Jalen Ramsey. You saw what the numbers looked like last week for Mac Jones on that side of the field. Get him in the slot, you know, get him the ball. A little bit more yak. Um, I, actually, they're up towards the top of the league in yak, but more would be good because it just doesn't feel like this is an offense that that's um, that's incredibly explosive right now. you got to get the ball in your playmaker's hands. They're going to get Javon Holland back, it looks like, Xavier Howard possibly as well. Um, this secondary, for the first time all season, is playing together. And so Vic Fangio, the, all the excitement that got, you know, got, I don't know, all the excitement that came with him signing as the defensive coordinator in Miami, it kind of faded as they played kind of average uh, throughout this season. The offense is fantastic. If they can, if they can put together like a kind of top five, top 10 defensive push towards the end of the season, they could be number one in the AFC. So this is a big opportunity to show what everybody was looking forward to seeing, which is this really good secondary with Kohu in the slot where he's comfortable, the whole thing. Um, I think it's, you know, the the Broncos played six, they played three, they sat back. This is a game where I think you might see some of those same elements for Miami, and you got to block Jalen Phillips, you got to block Christian Wilkins, um, and you got to be able to run the ball. That's going to be a big deal for me. And probably in a matchup with two high-flying offenses, on the surface, I think both teams want to run the ball. If you look at ways that they can move the ball, it's running the football, especially Miami, because Kansas City quietly has been kind of middling and stopping the run. And so I think th those are the keys. When Kansas City has the ball, I see a bounce back game from Patrick Mahomes. They don't lose two in a row a lot, okay? The last time it happened was 2019. So this is a spot that if it's possible, feels like a buy low for the Chiefs. Right, like I, I, if you watched that game last week and you don't know football and you don't know why it happened, you're probably like, there's no way they beat the, the Dolphins two weeks ago. It feels like a year ago they lost to the Eagles. Um, they, went out, they went out, put up 31 points on the Patriots. Um, they looked good down there. I think it's a buy low spot for the Chiefs. I'm worried about the travel. On the other side, the matchup that I'm really excited about is Spags against Tua. I know there's more people on the field than just Tua. But Spags is a guy who I think will have a way to take away his first read. And, you know, the Chiefs play cover, cover one more than anybody. So when you man up Tua, it's going to force him to make those tougher throws. You know, there is a, a percentage that's not insignificant that they break a long play or you get burnt. Um, but I think they're going to get their scores anyways. You know, take chances, challenge them. 
you know, in the right spots. I think on early downs too, you know, like mixing in some tight coverage, mixing in some cover one. Two is 32nd out of 37 quarterbacks um, versus man coverage. So, like, if you get pressure on him, he's not the same guy. If you man them up, it's risky, but he's not the same guy. Uh, when you get in these situations and Tua feels pressed, I think he's going to go depth the target deeper. He's going to try to take shots. And honestly, if I'm playing Miami and I feel like I have the offensive firepower, sometimes I'm going to take chances because, um, you know, if they're going to score anyways, let me take the small percentage chance that they fuck something up uh, backed up because you were aggressive. You know, like maybe that's why I'm not a defensive coordinator in the NFL, but I like being a little bit aggressive. And the matchups are going to be huge. I mean, Tyreek Hill, when he gets in the slot, I worry about McDuffie. Um, I don't know who they, they put on who in key situations, but uh, the thing I'm unsure about for the, for the Dolphins is going to be Armstead's practicing. It looks like he's, he's going to play, I would, I would guess. Um, that window just opened up. Uh, you know, you, you probably get Connor Williams back, but that offensive line with Robert Hunt not practicing, maybe by this point he's trending a different way, but as of yesterday, hadn't practiced. Um, you know, what do they look like up front? And for Kansas City, Carl Loftus, Omenahu, these guys got to have big games. I mean, like, Chris Jones can't do it all. And I honestly think Chris Jones is the perfect type of weapon to have on the other side of Tua. We talked about pressure in the middle of the pocket. He's that guy. I mean, he's a big, tall body. He can knock passes down. He can reset the line of scrimmage. Who is a shorter quarterback? I actually think this is the the biggest matchup of the game in the trenches. Is going to be Chris Jones against that offensive line. So, um, no, no a chain or a chan. A chan. Um, no win. Um, Kansas City's rush, rush defense has got to be good, and somebody other than Chris Jones has to win. I'm even more sold on the under after that breakdown. You think you feel under after hearing yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think I feel like it's an under game. Last six acts to play this stadium. Yeah. Coldplay, Ed Sheeran, Beyonce, Depeche Mode, Harry Styles, and The Weeknd. No way. Yeah. <laughs> now it's Mahomie. Now it's now it's Miami, Kansas City. Yeah, and I think also something to note is like favorites generally play well in London. I mean, those numbers back that up. And, and Mahomes in tight spread games, very good. So, um, Biggest game of the year so far? No, I think I felt like Eagles and, 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 and Dolphins. Yeah. That's what it felt like to me. Maybe it's the proximity to the team, but primetime Sunday night. Um, Kansas City's coming off a loss. Like It takes a little bit of the luster out of this game. Yeah. Could decide the still, number one seed, though. It's one of the, the, the best games of the year, yeah. period. And it's in Germany. And, and it's in Germany, which, you know, like the NFL knew what they were doing. Uh, but Tyreek Hill uh, in a revenge game, that's, that's, that's something else. And he's been saying all the wrong things this week, depending on how you look at it. He's like, we're going we're gonna to cause problems. And I don't doubt it. <laughs> and he's unafraid to say that. And I know this game, he said it's like p- playing against your brothers and that sort of thing. But I think there's some animus from Tyreek Hill. He really wants this one. Five and three Bills are at the four and three Bengals. Bengals favored by two points at the moment. Buffalo averaging fewer than 21 points per game in their last four. Cincy has won three in a row, including a two-tutty win over the Niners last week. I love, the, I love this spot for the Bills. I okay. do. I mean, like, I just feel like it's a bot. 
again, buy low spot for the Bills. I mean, even though they won last weekend, you know, Bucks made it closer and needed to be. You're down a tight end. You're, you know, you've had problems scoring. You've had problems everywhere. You've had defensive guys banged up. I think, I think Josh in this spot, last week I felt like they burnt the ships a little bit. He ran the ball more. They said, fuck it, like we're, we're going to get an 11 and, and we're going to run out of gun and that sort of thing. Like, um, I, I, I like that here. The big question for me is Josh's shoulder. You know, last week looked like the old Josh, but there's a cost, right? He comes out of that game, he runs the ball, um, and he bangs up his shoulder. Now, I don't know how he's going to feel, but I loved seeing the adjustment in 11 personnel. You can run the ball in 11 personnel versus Cincy. You can get him out of that bare front. You're going to have some quality rundowns. Uh, when they're in that bare front, they are tough to run on. You've seen that recently uh, as that defense is rounded into form. Uh, one thing is, Josh does struggle against cover three. I think it's probably because he's aggressive. You know, he's going to take those shots, three deep coverage, just more bodies back there. There's more cushion. Um, he's got to figure out when to take the profit. And Kincaid makes a big difference for them. You know, he ran a route on the left sideline last week, and it just looks so different. Like, he is a pass catcher. So it fits this offense well. And, uh, you know, like the Bengals, the defense, the turnaround they've had coming in um, weeks five to eight, seventh in EPA, 25th through week four. That is a huge turnaround. So whatever they do to flip the switch uh, on this team, you know, like maybe we need to talk about, about Zach Taylor more as like a really good football coach. Because I feel like we, every year we're like this guy. You know, and we also credit Big Lou though. It's all Lou and Arumo, and they weren't very good. They weren't very good the first month of the season, but they have come along. And on the other side of things, Sean McDermott, I think the biggest question mark for me is: Are they going to widen coverage uh, and change leverage up, or are they going to constrict the middle of the field and make Joe throw the ball outside the numbers? Uh, I don't know what the answer is there, but I think you stay out of cover too. Uh, against Joe Burrow. I mean, Rasul Douglas, a guy they just brought over, is a big help. Obviously, I talked about playing with Rasul Douglas. I thought he wasn't he wasn't a great scheme fit in Philly. He kind of was figuring things out. He went to uh, Green Bay where they don't play a lot of cover two, and he excelled. And, you know, now I think with this group uh, and seeing that you have Sewell in the building, maybe this is the week you play more three. Um, I think he's going to help a lot. And like Buffalo, they're going to run the ball out of 11. So, you know, Kyle and I talked about this. Some of the gun run stuff, um, at times they've leaned too heavily onto that because I think Joe's was unhealthy, obviously, for a lot of the season. It's easier to just turn and hand the ball off. The downside is the momentum that you create uh, under center in the run game is so much different than a guy who's got to step sideways and, and carry the ball. It's one of the reasons I like the pistol if you're running out of gun, but the angles are, are different. So um, they've gotten that going a little bit more. And against Buffalo, it's not a bad place to be. So uh, both teams really evenly matched the way I look at it. I like the over. I think there's going to be scoring in this game. Uh, and I lean Bills if they're catching three points. Cincy is <clears throat> plus 330 to win the AFC North. Feels like good value. Only a game and a half behind Baltimore, who's minus 130, and you still got to have another game against the Ravens. You're 0-1 against them so far. But since he's starting to get it rolling, like that plus 330 value. I think one of two value. teams, we've said this, one of two teams wins the AFC uh, <laughs> yeah. North. And it, it for a lot of the season, it's been the, the front-running Ravens, who nobody expected to be in first, uh, not many people. And then 
the Bengals, who are fourth uh, for most of the year. And I think those two teams are the teams, ironically, that could make a push to win this division. I think also something that, that's interesting, and plenty of people have talked about it, you are back to the scene of the DeMar Hamlin uh, yeah. deal. And it's a primetime game. It's going to feel very similar. Uh, how do guys react? I, I don't know how that feels. Um, so emotionally charged game, a game between two AFC elites, two great quarterbacks. I can't wait for this one. And the, the thing about this Sunday is it lines up. You got, a, you got a fucking great game in the morning. You got a great game in the 1 p.m.s with Baltimore and Seattle. You have a great game in the 4 p.m.s with Philly and Dallas, and then at night you got a great game too. Yep. So it makes it easy to like fill out your chart, which, which teams do you wanna really be watching in real time? Like for us, it's great. You know, we're gonna be focused on those games primarily, and uh, this one's gonna be a great nightcap. The five and two Cowboys are at the seven and one Eagles. Philly's favored by three points. It's Dallas that has a point differential of plus 77, yeah. second only to San Fran and the NFC at plus 78. Philly is plus 52 despite having two more wins than Dallas. And also Philly just hasn't had the same amount of blowouts. You know, Dallas, couple games, they, you know, Giants, Rams, that sort of thing. And, but you take into account, that's still impressive considering San Francisco, you know, dog walked them. Mm -hmm. So I, here's the thing I wanna see this game is Dak and Jalen against each other. We haven't seen that yet. We haven't seen that yet. You know, we had Cooper Rush on one side of it one, one week last year, and then we had Gardner Minshew on the other side of it last year too. And if you're the Eagles, you have to feel good about the way that game played out um, because they moved the ball on those guys. And you know, like it, there's the infamous, um, the don't block Micah Parsons game. I think it's gonna be interesting what the game plan is for that. You know, like Mike is gonna come into this game with a lot of baggage upstairs. How, how is he able to compartmentalize what he remembers from last year and just say, anything could happen. I need to play my keys. I need to play fast. Um, I think one thing that's also interesting, when you look at this rivalry over the past five, seven years, longer, because this is when I was there, but we couldn't beat them with Zeke. Like, that was the thing with the Cowboys. They had this rushing attack. They had this really good front that could not neutralize our front, but a front that could be equal. And then, you know, then it's the linebackers against their good backs and that sort of thing. And I think when you're going on the road, um, in a hostile environment, you have to get the run game going. So that's going to be a key to me. The Eagles have been very good stopping the run without committing a lot of bodies to the box. And uh, this is a game where what scares you the most is probably the guys outside. You don't have that Zeke power attack anymore. I, I got a lot of respect for Tony Pollard, but the run game is not as central a piece in what they do. Tony Pollard has run for more than 72 yards only once this season in the lost Arizona. It's not what they do anymore. You know, like, um, and, and maybe shocking with, with McCarthy calling the plays. I mean, he's more of an old school guy, but um, they just have not run the ball with a ton of success. So you don't have that thing that was the uh, deal breaker for the Eagles anymore, and you're playing on the road. Tyron Smith's probably playing, but, but to me, can the Eagles hold up on the back end long enough? Because if they can, I like the matchups up front. As good as that Dallas offensive line is, we saw some protection issues at different times this year. It, again, it's not the same group as they had five, seven years ago. You know, guys are older, new pieces. Um, I think this is going to be very interesting to see what happens in that phase of the game uh, for the Eagles' pass rushers. I think the Eagles need to be better on third down. One thing that shocked me about the Eagles is they have not been great on third down defensively. It shouldn't be shocking, but where they are, it's like bottom of the league. 
Bottom five. Yeah. Bottom five. Bottom five of the league stopping teams on third down. And they're really good in the run game for the most part because there's big bodies inside and that sort of thing. So I don't think it's a thing where they're facing a ton of third and shorts. They just can't get off the field sometimes. And so your matchups have to be really good outside. You have to pick your spots. Um, I, you know, like this is going to be interesting. And, and, and for the Eagles, you're a week away from your bye. You've got this murderous stretch. This is going to be a game you really want to get going into that bye. And also, you'd love to get out of it with Jalen Hurts being healthy. But with the game on the line and in key situations, for me, if I'm the coach, I'm still running Jalen Hurts. Um, he's going to have a bunch of time after this game to get that fluid out of that knee or whatever it is. Um, they kind of haven't really given us much on what the injury is, but he's been in a brace. Um, he's still a weapon with his legs. They're still putting him in that trash compactor running the brotherly shove every week. So I would, I would when there's a chance to tuck and run it in the red zone, that type of thing, you got to have this game, you know, because you're going to see him again to go up one nothing in this series and put a little bit more distance between you and the Cowboys and the NFC, and not to mention the Lions. You look at the stretch of games down the stretch. For them, they're not challenging games for the Lions. Like, the Lions are going to keep winning. So going on the road shouldn't be an option for the Eagles come playoff time. And in the NFC, the Niners have taken a step back. The Cowboys have taken a step forward. This is a team you want this first win against because the next time you play them, you want to play with a little house money. And so Gilmore and A.J. Brown, Bland and Devontae, huge matchups. Um, it's got to be a Dallas Goddard game, in my opinion. Dallas Goddard's got to have a big game, and they got to look for him because I think if there's one place the Cowboys aren't very good or they're not as good, it's in the middle of the field. Um, i, I got to have something from Dallas Goddard. And the Eagles need to avoid the turnovers. Jalen's... You know, got 11 turnovers this year. That's too many. So if I'm Dallas, I'm fucking with the looks, late rotations. Uh, we talked about maybe he likes to have pre-snap static. Take that away uh, if you're the Cowboys. This is going to be a great game. Maybe, well, maybe, yeah, yeah, Cowboys. I'm betting, I'm betting the Eagles, by the way. I was just going to say, if you're, if you're an Eagles fan uh, out there, if you're a Cowboys fan, we're going to be watching this game live in Studio 425 on yeah. Sunday. Yeah. So come hang Check out with us. We've got a big Miller Lite announcement. So Big. if you want to be if you want to be a part of that and you want to be the first people to yeah, you don't want to hear about that later yeah mm-hmm. gotta no. listen gotta tune in YouTube YouTube.com. maybe something maybe nothing because there's so little natural grass in the league anymore but doesn't Dallas just feel like an artificial grass team sample size is very small 0 and one this year Levi Stadium they lost 42 that's to interesting 10. that's interesting I think for rushers for you know dynamic guys like Micah Parsons I remember. Robert Quinn, he didn't like playing on grass as much. Micah Even said, though he had his best year in in Chicago from a number standpoint. Micah's on record saying he likes the fast track better, not the grass. They, they are a fast team. They play fast. When they get on top of you, they don't slow down. Um, there might be something to that. I think more than anything, being at home for them is just a huge, it's a huge thing. They're not the same team on the road. And so there's a big test for Dak. It's a big test for Jalen. I cannot wait to see two premier quarterbacks that people talk about every week going head-to-head because we haven't seen it yet. Five and two Seahawks are at the six and two Ravens. Seattle has won five of seven. Baltimore has won six of eight. (laughs) All right. Baltimore, an NFL best 15.1 points allowed per game. Yeah, Yeah, Baltimore's defense is very good, but I got a dirty secret about Baltimore's defense. Here's their dirty secret. These are the quarterbacks that they've faced so far. 
An injured Burrow, C.J. Stroud, Anthony Richardson, Kenny Pickett, DTR, Josh Dobbs, and Jared Goff outdoors. I just heard five Hall of Famers. I don't know yeah, what you're yeah. trying to tell me. What I'm trying to tell you is this is the first time that they're really going to be tested in the passing game to this degree. I mean, like, and we talk about Geno having a slump, like being up and down the past couple of weeks. They've had problems in the red zone. But, like, go back and watch that game last week. Some of the top-end throws he makes – are incredible. I mean, there was we talked about the one in the corner of the end zone where he's got to escape the rush, roll left, and just just dots. I think a, it was, it was lock it. It was a gorgeous ball, and you know there was another one in the red zone that he put right on the money under pressure in the same spot, doesn't get caught. Like he's as good a thrower of the football mm. in those touch situations as anybody. I think the biggest problem for Seattle is. They don't seem like they're on the same page in the passing game all the time, Geno and the wide receivers. There's a couple instances last week where, you know, late in the game, I think at the end of the third quarter, he almost throws a pick six down 2017, and I think it's a miscommunication. I think I think it's a miscommunication with with Jas uh, Roxanne with JSN, um, and and you know, like the the route combination probably says he needs to continue his route outside. He sits down. He damn near throws a pick six on that on that ball. And DK a couple times earlier in the game, it just looks like they're not on the same page on some of the intermediate stuff. So I think for, for Seattle, uh, they have to know where they're going with the football. You got to know exactly where you're going to be because this is a defense that can make you pay. I mean, they're pretty good. You know, the quarterback thing notwithstanding, they got to be better there. Can they run the ball? I don't know. I mean, they had a couple explosives last week. This is a front that's played really well. Um, they want to build a flat wall, all the stuff we talk about, which is actually a pretty good approach um, against this team because I don't think of, I think of Kenneth Walker as a guy who is patient. You know, like he, he's going to hide behind the line and that sort of thing, and he's going to find any horizontal seam he can um, on some of that inside zone stuff. And so that's going to be a big deal. Can you run the ball? Um, is Abe Lucas back? No, he's not. And, th and that's a big deal to me, although they did a pretty good job of protecting Geno last week considering who they were playing. Um, I, I, I think the Abe Lucas thing is curious. He got an ejection like a, a two months ago. He's not back. So um, that's what it looks like when Seattle has the ball. When the Ravens have the ball, one thing to note, Lamar Jackson 17-1 against the NFC team. Ah, now, that was your stat. Had it. I don't know what the fuck that means, but it's not good uh, if you're the Seahawks. And uh, I think the Seahawks are a different team on the road than they are at home. Obviously, you got a same situation, fast track, loud crowd, the whole thing. They're going to be on the East Coast. I think this is an under game. I think the defenses are going to play better than you think. And uh, I think the big advantage for, for the Ravens is, uh, is their red zone and third down on defense. That's a big advantage for Baltimore. That has not been something that Seattle's done well. Uh, and conversely, when we're talking about the Seahawks on defense, they have, they've been tested the last two weeks against Cincinnati and Cleveland. Um, this is going to be maybe their biggest test. Uh, and, and I want to see if they pass it. Because I think they are a team that can make a push. And if they get home field advantage or play a playoff game or two at home, uh, they are a team that's in the conversation, especially making moves that signal we're serious, like the Leonard Williams move, which is a good move to make uh, with San Francisco coming up a couple times in a month. 
And then, you know, obviously a team like this is very physical. So I think this is going to be great to see Leonard Williams in that uniform. He looks like he's having a great time. And uh, it's just a huge test for the Seahawks. Last time against Seattle in 2019, Lamar ran. Ran for 116 in a touchdown. The mid-tier, the Chad Henney, Bubby Brister tier. Okay, Commanders Patriots. I'm psyched about this game. I'm psyched about this game. I said it earlier in the week. I wanted the I wanted to play the Patriots. Some of y'all were like, "Don't play the Patriots." Now the line has jumped to three and a half. Well, what do you got? Washington has lost five of six and will be without Montez Sweat and Chase Young this week due to personnel reasons. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Personnel. It's usually personal oh, due okay. to got personnel. It. Got, it. Got, it. got it. Get the joke. Yep. I get the joke. You got and, it. And definitely a factor in this game. Like, you think about trades, oftentimes you don't roll them right into the game plan that week, but, like, this is two, two elite edge rushers. Uh, I don't want to use the word elite, but, like, really good edge rushers. And you shift them off. It signals, like, where you think you are, and it also really factors into this game because Mac Jones under pressure is not great. And so, like, the now you just got to worry about the inside guys. Two Hill, he's going to get some burn outside. We'll see. Um, but so why'd the line not move? It was minus three before the trade. It's still minus three. The line hasn't moved because I well, it's three and a half where I've seen it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I think I think those guys moved at a half point, and everybody else moved the Patriots to three. Uh, so I'm I'm like, well, Mac did lose his favorite target in Kendrick Bourne. No question. On IR. But I don't look at that as like losing a strength because that's not even a thing that that you can really hang your hat on. I think this game is going to be a middle-of-the-field game for the Patriots. That's where they got to live. You know, like, the commies running a lot of cover three. Okay, so you want to work the seams, um, and that's a good coverage if you've got tight ends and wide receivers who can't separate. Like, if you have tight ends who are your strong point, relatively speaking, you got wide receivers who can't separate, just run the seams, hit your outs, um, and move the ball down the field. The commies are bottom 10 in run defense. So I think this actually sets up pretty well for the Pats' offense. And on defense, Sam Howell's not real great when he's pressured. And I'm not talking about just a young quarterback, not real great. He's 29th in the league when he's pressured um, and 28th versus the blitz. So he's going to see that stuff. And the interior of that offensive line, Paul, Larson, Cosme, they got to step up. This is going to be a fun game. I, I know it's kind of a, maybe a rock fight. Yeah, maybe I'm a little partial to it. The Bucks are at the Texans. Texans are favored by two and a half points. Total is 40. One of these teams will be four and four on Sunday at about four o'clock Eastern. Is this the biggest stay away of the entire weekend? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Like, I have no idea what to say here. I lean Texans, uh, you know, like they're, they're laying points on the road. It's two and a half, so you can kind of like slide under that key number, but... Uh, and then the totals right at 40. And when I asked Nolan earlier what he thought about this, he goes, if the Bucks win, it's going under. If the Texans win, it's going over. I think that's the hard thing about this game is like it could go two totally different kinds of ways. I think the sample size is too small on the Texans to really feel strong about this game. But I do lean Texans. Um, can the rushers get home from Houston? I talked about last week. They're playing the Panthers. Bernard Anderson and Anderson I really like watching he's he's good in every phase okay like I don't know if he's going to be that elite pass rusher but I'll be damned if I don't respect the hell out of his game and the way he hustles and the way he plays down and down out Bernard on the other side had a monster game I mean he ran uh, Taylor Moten the fuck over or it was Iki Aquanu a couple of times I mean like a couple of times beating him inside 
running him over, flat backing him. They got to have that same kind of game out of him. Uh, I don't have much to say about how, this how game. How frustrated do you think Willie Anderson is? Six straight games without a sack. I've been there. I've you been know, there. High pick. Yeah, I've been there. But I don't think I don't think the heat's up on him because you know it's it's funny like the way we treat some of these rookie defensive ends. It depends on the market you're in. It depends on how the team's doing. Like the the Texans are playing well relative to expectations, so there's no heat. And the pick that they would have had this year would probably be a lot worse player than Willie Anderson. And I don't think that conversation is coming yet. Yeah. You know, like I, I don't think people, if you ask somebody on the street, how's Will Anderson playing? Most people don't know. Uh, and I think he's playing pretty well. But like I said, you know, in evaluating him, he's not like an elite speed guy. I think he's got to really continue to lean into technique and power um, because he is twitchy, but he's not like a Von Miller on the edge. So I it just, he needs to keep working his stuff. I like his game. Uh, I wouldn't worry about that too much, especially because you're getting more out of Grenard than you probably thought you would. Contract year for him. He's got seven sacks, had a couple buckets last week. The Bucks passing defense has been getting shredded. Swiss cheese. Uh, Their non-existent uh, run game is a problem. Okay, I drafted Rashad White fantasy. I think he's on my bench. You know better than me. You, uh, yeah, you have a really good team. They're all on your bench. Yeah, you, you're, you're just not setting the old Earlier, lineup. Earlier, he was he was imploring me to set my lineup. That was went. it was a suggestion, and yeah. I and I identified my own personal interests ahead of time. No question. Tampa Bay is on pace to post the NFL's worst rushing success rate since the Ravens in 2013. Not just the worst this year, the worst in 11 years. Which is wild because they have fucking guys up front. Tampa Bay's second leading rusher, Baker Mayfield. It's wild, dude. And I love seeing his short little legs motor down the field. But if you're the Bucks, like somebody's got to run the ball. And I don't know what the hell's going on there. Uh, but the Bucks passing defense is a problem. I talked about that. The run game, those are weak spots. And they're going to man you up. They're going to blitz. C.J. Stroud's done pretty well in those situations as a young quarterback. So I kind of like the Texans here. And even more interesting, the Bucks boast this year's Coach of the Year in, 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 in Coach Bowles. of the Year Todd Bowles, yeah. uh, according to Stanford Steve. All right, low tier, Nathan Peterman starts with the Vikes and the Falcons. Yeah, one, of, could, one of these teams called the Jaron Hall tier will be five and four <laughs> at about four p.m. Eastern. The Falcons are favored by four points now. The total is thirty-seven. It'll be Heineke and Hall. Yeah, and another 37 and under total. Like, just bet these is a system, man. It's scary, though, with the new quarterback coming in. It is scary. It's a real unknown commodity. I know the commodity on the Falcons side. My guess, 27-17 Falcons. So maybe don't bet it. That was my guess earlier today. But, like, from a from a, a you know standpoint of... And maybe it's 27-10. But I think the Falcons win this game, and I'm really scared shitless to bet them because like they're laying like four or five points early in the week i wanted to bet them again the line moved and um and and i couldn't tell what was going on with the vikings at quarterback because they traded for josh dobbs maybe they're still going to play josh dobbs and they've said jaron hall is going to play o'connell said that but like could be a smoke screen i've seen josh dobbs pick up offenses pretty quick he keeps spot popping up in these spots where he he's got like a heroic cover as a dog or you know, some of these early Cardinals games. Um, I think I'm just really excited to see Heineke play. And I know Falcons fans, some of y'all that are in the uh, the uh, Desmond Ritter hive, don't like me. 
You know, I had a guy in the comments last week that was like, nah, bro, you got to stand on that bad take. I'm like, when did that take become bad because you guys all of a sudden scored 16 points some game? You guys, you, you guys are going to be right where you are if you don't make this change. And Arthur Smith, who I think is a good football coach, but like it has taken forever for him to, to admit this. Uh, and I don't know if it's the owner. I don't know if it's, I don't know what it is. But, you know, a week ago it was like, Ritter starting. That's just how it is. And then like three days later, it's like Heineke's starting. So I don't know if it came down from up high that like, hey, I'm over this thing. But I think Heineke, the way he looked in that second half, he's just friskier. You know, some of you guys aren't going to like that word because you're going to be like, what the fuck does that mean? It just means a guy who when things break down, you know, the risk reward is a better equation for you as a team. I mean, the turnover prone Desmond Ritter without the high ceiling of, a, of an elite passer. Like, that doesn't interest me, okay? Like, and I, I, I like the kid, seems like a great kid. I'm not saying he's a terrible player, but this team has aspirations. And, you know, like right now it's time to give the other guy a look. And so, you know, like, it's an upgrade. It's an upgrade against the Blitz. You're gonna see, uh, you're gonna see your guy Brian Flores this week. And maybe that's part of it. Like, hey, you know, we don't have to stick with this guy. You could see Desmond Ritter coming back down the line. This is a week that you'd rather see Heineke if you're the Falcons. And uh, I think they're going to be able to run the ball behind Lindstrom and company inside. So if you want to stay in this game, uh, if, if you're the Vikings, you got to create turnovers. That's it. Like, that's it. That's the only way I think they win this game. And if Kevin O'Connell wins this game, and I think he's a great coach. Yeah. Like, he just, he's even better than I thought. Um, he's such a good coach, they couldn't trade their pieces away because they're somehow still in playoff position. Yes, yes, dude. And I don't think he's, like, fully sold on, like, and packing up the tent. They shouldn't be. I think they could make it. They might make the playoffs, but again, like we talked about this the other day, like what's yeah. purgatory in the NFL? I mean, the Giants made the playoffs last year. Exactly. Well, the Giants won a playoff game last year. Against this Vikings team. Right. So, uh... Yeah, I lean, I lean Falcons. Cardinals are at the Browns. Cardinals are one and seven. Browns are four and three. Browns favored by eight points. Totals thirty-seven and a half. It's tune time for Arizona. I would expect them to start tune. Uh, and the Browns, they're going to run the football. Like that's what this game's going to be. It's just going to be a slow slog of hey, we're better, we're bigger, we're more physical. Under? Yeah. Undecided. Not going to play it. Not going to play this one. You see, it's 37 and a half. So, you know, it doesn't fall into our 37 and under mm -hmm. total uh, subset of data. But uh, it should be pretty interesting. I, other than, you know, just the decision. It's going to be telling, I think, for me, like, what, what are they doing? And then the, then the Deshaun side of things. We hear how tough he is over and over and over. And now some doctors are saying, well, it's a... It's a bruise. It's hard to gauge a bruise. But then how do you bruise your rotator cuff? Because it's, all... it's an internal bruise. So we, so we can't see it. No. How's the like, imaging? But like, okay, a bone bruise. Like when you're going to get an MRI and you have a bone bruise. Because somebody right. said like, somebody last week was like, this guy's got a bone bruise. So how is it a shoulder, shoulder bone? Yeah, I would think it's, it's, there's fluid in the joint. You know, like that, that's the one thing you don't realize. When you get fluid in the joint, it doesn't feel good. And like, it's one thing to have fluid in your knee and tough through it and run around, but it's his throwing shoulder. He's got fluid in there. There's a bruise. Some people are like, oh, it's just a bruise. But like, you go bruise your fucking rotator cuff pretty good 
and then go try to throw the ball around. I'm not as um, Brian Windhorse here as you, but it is getting to be a big story, mm-hmm. right? So something to pay attention to, but not too much attention. Perhaps there should have been an incentive or two in the contract. <laughs> mm-hmm. Another line of eight points or higher, two and six Bears at the four and four Saints. And you feel confident about this one. I do, not an eight and a half. But when it was at seven, I think I gave it out at seven. I feel good about like at least a push there. I just don't see how Bajan and these guys go down to New Orleans and score. Like if you played in New Orleans, you know how fucking rowdy it is. The way this group has played the last six. Uh, if LSU wins Saturday night <laughs> and these people are still drunk from that and then they come to that game in the 1 p.m. slate, it's going to be rowdy in that motherfucker. They're going to be playing uh, the yin-yang twins. And Bajan's not going to be able to hear. He's going to be bobbing his head like Drew Locke, if I had to guess. But it's not going to be good. And, you know, like I watched them play last Sunday night. Obviously, I was on the wrong side of the thing. But they did not look good in that situation. And that's L.A. on the road. Bears fans probably travel well. I don't think it was like a home game for the Bears. But it's not like going to New Orleans. And it's not like playing New Orleans' defense. So um, I think that's that's the big question. Then Montez Sweat, this thing has gotten like out of hand. From what I read yesterday, I'm like, Montez Sweat is unsure if he wants to sign an extension with the Bears, which I think could be a hilarious new trend in player empowerment. You know, like, oh, yeah. you can just trade me like a product. I don't get any say. Well, I'm going to start fucking over the team that acquires me and create leverage so that when I go into free agency, you don't want the embarrassment of letting me walk for nothing after you gave up a second round pick for me. Like that is a, that's a bad deal. And so, I, you know, like on the field, I'm interested to see how he plays. He's got to be motivated as a free agent. But if you're trying to maximize your money going into free agency, not a place you really want to be there's not a lot around you mm-hmm. but what you can do is do what he's doing seemingly right now which is saying like hey i might not I that might would be not. a disaster do you think ryan pulls ass to have his initials right behind his head that's interesting on sunday night i don't know big rp right behind his head and then you have kevin warren not very good eye discipline when he catches himself on the camera it's one of my pet peeves you yeah. catch yourself on the tv what on a prime time you what look you, straight down at the field you look down at the field and then you wait until you think it's five minutes after they're yeah. off you to look up and check yeah just act like you're watching be normal blink, yeah, it's true it's hard it's hard water. though easier said than done well and you're like somebody walk up to me on the sideline with a camera and i didn't know what to do like yeah. you know the side profile shot sitting on the bench right you gotta act like it's not there what do you do yeah. you don't pick your nose yeah but for Derek carr and I watched that game last week. The shots look good on New Orleans, and we're not just talking about you know, this game because this game's not gonna prove to be incredibly significant, but down the stretch in division you can win. You look at that wide receiver core, you've got Shahid who, who can take the top off of defense. You've got Olave, who this week is gonna play Jalen Johnson, who I think is really interesting. You wanted to trade, okay, you're about to be a free agent. You, okay, go get it. Like, you gotta look good, and he's gonna play some good wide receivers coming up. So. I'm really interested to see how this passing attack continues to to progress because over the last six quarters, they've been rolling. And last week, I thought they looked a lot better, albeit against the Colts. Um, they lead the league in deep passing attempts. You know, Taysom Hill was a factor. I want to see more Jamal Williams, as you mm-hmm. call him, because I think under center and when they're trying to get their traditional run game going, you should give Kamara a break. Now, I know 
he's catching a lot of balls that are like run plays for them, and that's a big part of their short game is just get him the ball and that sort of thing. But And it's a big tell if he's not on the field. Your matchups in the passing game are different, and that sort of thing is less you got to worry about. But I do think Williams has looked good when he's gotten the ball uh, in a traditional run game sense. Um, I'd love to see more of him. Tyreek Stevenson on on Thomas. That should be a big mismatch for New Orleans. Hurricane, yep. So I do like New Orleans here. It's just going to be about getting out to a hot start. If they find themselves in a 6-3 ball game in the second quarter, you know what kind of day it's going to be. I'm going to be crying in front of the TV. But I do think, uh, even with a lot of points, and I think people are going to be afraid to bet the Saints. Even though the numbers right now show Chicago's got more money on them and less tickets, I just feel like this is the this is the the swallow big side of it. The three and five Colts are two and a half point favorites in Carolina. Carolina just got its first win. Indy is the only team in the NFL to have scored twenty or more points in every game, but the defense has allowed an average of thirty eight over the last three. Defense is cheeks, uh, and I really like the Panthers here. As the week goes on, I like the Panthers. You know, last week we saw how that unfolded. Um, we kind of making you were on it. I completely. Uh, reverse course looking at what Frank did off a of bye but I also think watching the new play caller work um, has been not a revelation but it was fun to watch I, I thought they weren't afraid to throw the ball on early downs um, their run game is kind of non-existent I know you want a, a run game to lean on with Bryce uh, but you got what you got right now and you know if he's got to throw the ball 40 times a game if you can get the ball out quick on early downs, if you can create some of these run kind of quick game deals, uh, that's what I would stick with. And 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 I thought Bryce looked really good last week. So if you're Bryce Bryce Young, hang in there, man. Um, it takes a long time to know if quarterback you know is going to be good or not. Who that guy is. People have kind of written this guy off like very early. I felt like. I mean, I I feel like people have written this guy off, and. You know, I think he's done a lot with little there in some spots. If you watch him uh, and you really sink into the film last week, the throw he made outside the numbers against Blitz in the second quarter to Thielen, uh, I think it was Stingley came down or maybe Petrie. One of those guys just blew up the, the running back, ran right through him. He's in, in Bryce's lap. Bryce rolls out, crosses body, beautiful ball outside the numbers uh, to Thielen. And that last drive, you know, they end up in second and 19. They're trying to win a football game, and they're driving with their backs against the wall. They need a field goal to win. They get to second and 19. You think about with this offense being behind the sticks like that. Not first and 20, second and 19. They overcome that. They get the fourth and two. The throw he made to Thielen, they got two guys in the same spot. They both think they're catching the ball. Just an incredible job by Thielen to catch that football. And for Bryce to put it in there, I don't know who was supposed to be where, but you know it was it was fun to watch him move in the pocket, climb the pocket, deliver the ball down the middle of the field. I think he played better, and so I know there's some people that were probably off of him, but I thought the play calling was good, and I thought like one key in that last drive was they're at the 50 earlier in the game. They heated up Bryce consecutive plays at midfield. In that situation, they dump a screen behind a blitz, and it goes for like 30 yards, and they're in field goal position. And I thought that was just a great sequence for that offense that probably gets lost in the shuffle, but that was a big drive. It wasn't perfect. 
Like I said, they fucked up the route combination on fourth and two. Um, they, they end up in second and 19, but they overcame it, and I thought Bryce played pretty well. They ran two times as many RPOs, 7.6 yards per attempt. That's up from 5.4 the previous six, seven games. So obviously, taking more shots, pushing the ball down the field. Negatives, they ran the ball 24 times, they took six negatives. That is not very good. I, I would be careful thinking we gotta run the ball. Like, let's find other ways to get, to get plus yardage on first and second down. And Carolina's rush defense, not great. Taylor's been heating up. I don't know why they went away from Taylor in the second half last week, but that's your best way to beat these guys is pound the ball. If you get to third and long against the Carolina Panthers defense, this is where they look like a good football team. If you turn the TV on only when the Panthers were on third down defensively and it's favorable yardage, they look like a good team. Obviously, you got Brian Burns, who's going to have a really good matchup. It's probably the biggest matchup for the Colts, Blake Freeland, um, Brian Burns on third down. So if you get to third down, third and long, I like Carolina's chances. And another thing, Minshew's dirty little secret is he just is not a guy who covers a lot. And I kind of lean the Panthers here. The Rams are at the Packers. Packers are favored by three points. Uh, in the words of Matt LaFleur, quote, it's just like you know we're a mess right now, end quote. Yeah, it is just like that, dude. I've seen a couple of your games. I don't really know what you're doing in the first half. They got and the, I think there's a good football team in there if Jordan Love can turn it around. They got the Bears in week one, and then they got the Saints in week three after being down 17-0 in the fourth quarter. I don't think people, and maybe I'm biased, but I actually value Romeo Dobbs. I think he's pretty good. Right, like I think he's pretty good. Um, I, I think the running back Aaron Jones is a really good player. They haven't used him. You know, like this is a week where you could use him. People don't like the offensive line. I don't think they're as bad as people think. Uh, it's all about Jordan Love here. And you know, like early in the season, I saw some things that I thought were really good, some really plus throws from him. I don't know if it's just playing in this offense over like now a larger sample size. It's kind of made him gun shy. Uh, I don't know if it's a thing where he just doesn't process well, knows where he wants to go with the ball, and has to go right there. But they just look, I've called it a preseason offense before, and that's the best way I can describe them. Like very vanilla schemes that you would see in August as you're preparing to play uh, a team with you know a quarterback that you haven't seen play a lot. And so they're running a game plan that like Minnesota should run, like with Jaron Hall. But, like, take some shots. Be more aggressive. You're playing the Rams, right? Brett you're, Rippin. You, you want to see. This is what you want to see. Brian G threw down the gauntlet this week. He said Jordan's officially auditioning, essentially. Like, from here on, the rest of the season, item one is, is finding out if we got our guy. Don't half-ass that. Be aggressive. Put this kid in tough situations. Like, let's find out. Because what you're going to do is you're going to play yourself into a fucked up situation being conservative. And so, like, I would be more aggressive. I would find out what you got. If it goes up in flames, okay, move on. Uh, and on the other side of things, Stafford and the thumb, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on with that. I don't know. They didn't sell at the trade deadline. They must feel like he's coming back. They must feel good about their team. And if I'm Sean McVay, I don't blame him because he can coach his ass off. And, you know, we said it all year, this is not going to be a good Rams football team. Uh, they're not going to go to Dallas and beat the Cowboys. They're not going to go to Philly in the playoffs and beat the Eagles. Uh, but what they can do is they can win some games. Like, there's a lot of teams in the middle right now in the NFL, and those are games where I like McVay. And, you know, like in this situation, with a backup quarterback possibly, 
Uh, I mean, I remember uh, Wolford in Seattle. I feel like they mm-hmm. covered that week. Um, you know, up in up in Seattle late in the season, like he he's trotted out some guys that have actually played well when when you didn't expect it. And I think he's a great coach. So not that anybody's going to be watching this game. If anything, I'd take the the under. Uh, the only way the Packers win this game, well, not the only way, but the the way they have to win this game is stop the run game because the Rams have gotten that going, and that's a credit to McVay and the concepts and the players that nobody's given a chance, myself included. And they're going out and they're playing hard every week.